What's going on, New York Giant fans? Welcome back to Big Blue in the Bronx YouTube channel. Huge stream tonight. Uh, not too long and not too short. But with that being said, let me bring on my panel. We got Authentic, we got The Hub, and we also got Nate Talks. Uh, I would say to start it out, start out with a little icebreaker. Introduce yourself, where people can find you. And uh, also, how do you feel about the Giants so far this season? What changes do you think they need to make? What is your feelings on them? I'll start off with Authentic, move to Nate, and then Kush. Uh, what's up, everybody, man? Um, Authentic. I'm one half of Authentic and the Beard. We like to call it the uh, best television show not on television. Uh, covering the NFC East pretty much, man. Um, and state of the Giants right now, um, I, I kind of don't know how to feel about it. I'll tell you what, like last week against the Raiders, I was pretty numb throughout most of that game. Didn't feel either way or the other. But uh, to come out with the victory in a sloppy game like that kind of kind of revives my uh, my hope for the rest of the season. I predicted nine wins to start the season, so We'll see how that goes, man. I don't know if we're going to quite get the nine, but at least I can see a little bit of path to the miracle right now, at least. Nate? Yeah, uh, it's been a minute since I've been on the channel. Good to be back. Uh, it's been a minute since I've talked to Authentic. Always great to see you. Uh, I guess uh, for those that don't know me, I am Nate Talks Football, as Alex said a minute ago. Uh, you can find me on YouTube at that channel that he has so nicely linked down there. Same name on Twitter. Uh for my little icebreaker, I will give one word on how I feel about the Giants, which is confused, uh, because every week, what are you going to see? It's incredibly confusing. Um, I think Authentic brought up there's a chance for a miracle. And I think what, what makes it even more confusing is the fact that looking at this team, it's so easy to tell that we should not have a shot at the playoffs at the midseason mark. Facts. And yet here we are, a game and a half out of the last wild card spot. That seventh wild card spot really changes everything. And I think we can all tell this is not what you might call traditionally a playoff caliber team. Here we are anyway, though, a game and a half back with eight to play and a couple of really important games against other teams in the hunt still in the back half of our schedule. So, again, confused. I'll pass that on to Kush. Your what's up, y'all? Shout out to Big Blue in the Bronx Alex for having me on. Shout out to Authentic for being here, Nate for being here. What up, chat? How y'all doing? Um, of course, you can find me over on my channel, The Hub, on Twitter and Instagram, the hub underscore yt. As for how I feel about the Giants, um, I feel that like I feel the same way I feel about Evan Ingram. I feel like this team is consistently inconsistent. Um, when we're out there, that's the one thing they're good at. They're they're good at keeping us on our toes. And this isn't the first time in the past, like, two or three years where, the, like Nate had said, the Giants are in a position to make the playoffs, but they really don't – I don't know if deserve is the right word, but they really haven't earned That's that That's the spot, right word. Right? Or, like, you know, we're all wondering how to hear it. But, like, like for real, the authentic Nate, last year we were in this position. I feel like in 2018 we were in this position as well when OBJ was talking about possibly running the table. Well, it's not but... the first time we're, we're here. <laughs> so, yeah. hopefully, of course, we hope it uh, ends differently. And uh, I'm, the only reason my camera's off is because I'm finishing up dinner and then my camera will be on, guys. Hey, get it, man. Get it. Yeah. Man's got to eat. I definitely understand that. Absolutely. Um, so, obviously, one of the main points of this live stream was, once again, to talk about, you know, we could go on about uh, the offensive line, this, that, and the other thing. One thing I want to talk about is philosophy. And I don't think a lot of people have went into depths of that. Maybe someone's, you know, gone into, you know, what Jason Garrett's doing. I want to go into like three parts of a philosophy. I also want to talk about how the Giants kind of within the last two years with Joe Judge have designed themselves to be like a Patriots team, but just have not been quite there. And personally, I don't feel too good about that. But once again, we'll get there. 
Um, so obviously the league has changed. The league has changed within the past two years. The Giants have had a good defense or at least a solid defense to keep them in games. The offense really hasn't done the greatest of jobs. But in my personal opinion, without even listing stats or anything, I think the league has so much moved on from that philosophy. There are only few teams out there that have top or mid-level defenses that have a, an over 500 record. The Patriots are one. And they've beaten, like, one over 500 team. The Steelers are definitely one. And there's a few other teams around the league that, yeah, they have a good defense, but their offense is, you know, not as not as good. So just some uh, key nuggets to start off. The Giants, compared to other offenses, 21st. Their philosophy is very, I would say, older compared to the other teams in the league. They – Pass uh, their fifteenth percent. Their fifteenth in percentage on passing on first down, and we could all agree that the talent and execution's not there. Whether it's the offensive line, it's the quarterback, it's receivers dropping passes. Now you take a look at the defenses. Top teams don't have great defenses off the end. Uh, don't have superb defenses, but some do. I uh, take a look at teams like the Bucks. I mean, now they've just statistically gone into the top 10 category but you take a look when we when we versus the rams everyone was talking about oh well the rams have a bad defense they're creeping up into that top 10 category and you know let's just take a look at all also one thing i want to bring up as well about the point of you know you don't have to have a top 10 defense look at the adjustments multiple teams have made in season i kind of think that the giants have a good philosophy in terms of the defense when it comes to uh organizing their strategy midway through season, even though all of us were pretty much um, pretty much not great feeling on the defense early on. But Kansas City Chiefs in 2019, it was like week 11 on, you know, they, they were good on defense. 2021 Rams, obviously they got Von Miller now, so, you know, it's going to be good for them. But I want to explain something as well in terms of records. You guys can determine this how – you will, and then we could talk about it a little bit. Uh, in terms of offense, you take a look at the top 10 units statistically in the league. Dallas Cowboys 6-2. and two. The Ravens, well, the Ravens now obviously lost that game 6-3. and three. Uh, The Bucks 6-2. and two. Rams 7-2. and two. The Cardinals 8-1. and one. The Raiders 5-3. and three. The Chiefs 5-4. and four. The Bills 5-3. and three. The Vikings 3-5. and five. And then five and three Los Angeles Chargers. Now you take a look at defenses that are in the top ten. And keep in mind that some of these units may not have good defenses, not good offenses. Uh, you know, just keep that in mind as well. So you take a look at the best defensive unit. Obviously, things can change because we did have the Thursday night game. Buffalo, they're five and three. The Panthers are four and five. The Browns are five and four. The Cardinals are eight and one, as I mentioned, seven and two Green Bay Packers, which is a surprise because their defense, you know, is not really known to be that good. Uh, the Denver Broncos, they are five and four, six and two Bucks. The 49ers are three and five. The Patriots are five and four. And also, as well, the Raiders, who are 10th, are five and three. Take a look at offense uh, 56 and 27 compared to defensive teams, 53 and 33. So, Without going on too much, I want to get your guys' thoughts on that and just how the league has changed and what the Giants need to do in depth. And just basically put out your thoughts. Let's start with Authentic like I did the last time. Yeah, I mean, you know, numbers is definitely one thing. You can always look behind the numbers, but, you know, it can be a little bit misleading this early into the season because, you know, like you said, the Rams aren't one of the top defenses 
um, entering this week 10 right now. But we know last season the Rams were one of the top defenses, ended the year with the number one pass defense. So I think you need the, the whole accumulation of the whole season for sure. But I think there's different ways that you can build your team. And I think when you, when you relate it back to the New York Giants, there's not a balance of personnel to match the style that we're trying to run on offense right now. Um, you know, I think they're trying to kind of turn Daniel Jones more into a game manager as of late because they're realizing if you throw it over 35 times that we can get ourselves into trouble, turnovers, uh, fumbles, things like that. But you look at a team like the Tennessee Titans who are leading their division right now, you know, they've built their team pretty much from the inside out, had a great running back before he went down with the foot injury. And, and I'm hoping that Adrian Peterson could come in and kind of supplement that so that they don't have to change their offense that much. But I mean, I, I think you can go in any different approach as far as philosophy goes, but most importantly, you got to match the personnel with the philosophy. And that's where the Giants lack. And uh, injuries definitely played their, their part in that. But even when we were healthy, you look at the first three weeks of the season, you know, we still didn't have this offense really clicking on all cylinders like Giants fans really thought it was going to be, you know, and, and I don't know if you can blame that on injuries or if you can blame that on, you know, lack of preparation in the, um, in the preseason and during minicamp, not getting enough reps with each other. We know Kadarius Tony was kind of not in the mix. Galladay was hurt. Uh, Kyle Rudolph was in, you know, khaki shorts pretty much for all the preseason. They waited until the last preseason game to even let the, the uh, first string unit play together pretty much. And then you wonder why they go into the season and don't have the chemistry that fans expect. And I think Kenny Galladay gave us the, uh, the biggest hint that, you know, this offense was going to start slow and, you know, it's probably started slower than most fans expected. Yeah. Uh, I agree with everything you're saying there. And I think the, the main overarching point is that, something I've been saying for a while, and a lot of people have been saying, it's not one thing. There's not one reason that this Giants team has been losing so many bad, bad games. Just bad losses in every sense of the word. Games that are tough to watch. There's all sorts of factors. You can't really point the finger at one thing as much as you'd like to because everything is going wrong at once. You got, obviously, the scheme problems, which I'm sure we're going to talk about. That's sort of part of the the whole deal with philosophy that we're going to get into here. You got, obviously, like Authentic's mentioning, the fact that we don't have the personnel we need due to injuries and due to the fact that we really just haven't built this team with much of an identity, it seems like. Uh, and then on top of that, you got the fact that we're just not clicking in a lot of ways, and the players we do have that we've expected to play at a high level started off the season really slow. So I think with that said, there's a whole lot of reasons why this is happening. And like Authentic mentioned, Kenny Galladay said it was going to happen, and boy, was he right. I think for me, if we're going to talk about philosophy specifically, and we're going to talk about what the Giants are trying to do as opposed to what they are doing, because it is a very valid excuse that maybe Jason Garrett can't do exactly what he wants to do on offense with no line, with injured receivers, with blah, 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 whatever. Uh, there's a lot of validity to that. But for me, when I look at the philosophy and I look at the way that Jason Garrett and Joe Judge have said they intend to do things, specifically with regards to play calls and sort of what I would term the lack of aggression, again, subjective, but in my opinion, that's what it is. A lot of people agree. For me, I personally think that as we evolve as a league and the league continues to move forward, we're moving into a more aggressive world. That's just how things are. Teams are starting to look into the Atlantics and, and, and decide that fourth down, go for it is the best option a lot of the time. That's just what we're looking at these days. When you're looking at teams that are building through the pass and building through trying to make explosive plays happen, that's one of the many things, by the way, that came up from college. Nick Saban, one of, the, one of my favorite quotes he's had is that it's really, really difficult to run a whole lot of offensive plays perfectly in a row. 
Therefore, at Alabama, what they've tried to do for a long time is make explosive plays so they can bite off a huge chunk of that in one, you know? And that's why we talk about explosive plays, which a lot of great content creators have made actual videos going over the statistics and whatnot. But for me, that lack of aggression is a problem. And we're talking about Jason Garrett's offense, and we're talking about the fact that he doesn't have maybe the personnel to run it. I think even if he did have that personnel, it's just not an offense that's going to be effective in the league anymore. It's dated. It's conservative. It's not, it's not willing to take any chances. And I think in this modern league, if you want to win and you want to keep up with the fast-paced tempos of offenses like the Cowboys with Dak Prescott and all his weapons and offenses like, uh, like the Ravens and the Chiefs, obviously the Ravens had a tough night against Miami last night, but that game aside... If you want to keep up with those offenses, you got to be able to go score for score. And another one of those those quotes that Joe Judge said, which bothers me to no end, we, we can't, I think it was, obsess over getting seven points every time we're going down the field. Yeah, I know you don't want turnovers. I get it. But you cannot trade field goals for touchdowns and expect to win football games. Doesn't work. So with that said, for me, that philosophy is what I have a problem with. I just don't like playing a conservative I believe in an aggressive philosophy when, when it comes to football in general. So uh, that's my thoughts. I'll pass it to Kush. Um, you, both of you all said a lot of things that I agree with and a lot of points brought up that I haven't even thought of. There's also a couple of things that I disagree with. But first of all, yes, I agree with Authentic and with Nate where it's like I do think there's a hint of I don't have the tools necessary to run my offense with Jason Garrett. And that's on injury. That's on Gelman and on Judge for not giving us good depth. I mean, for crying out loud, I know they're depth pieces, but our offensive line depth has got to be the worst in the league. Sometimes you go out there like, what Billy Price, and I keep going back to this one play because it's like the perfect example of it. I think it was against the Chiefs. It was either the Chiefs or Carolina. The run play for Devontae Booker was supposed to be up the middle. Somehow Billy Price got turned around and ended up hugging Devontae Booker. Yeah. It was like a loss of like three <laughs> yards. Backup centers don't do that. Right. They're not. Yes, they're not up to starting level, but they're at least supposed to be able to carry your team for a couple of games. And when I say carry, I don't mean actually carry. But, you know, you should stay afloat. Sure. Our depth on this team, not just in the offensive line, but it seems most places has been a real problem. That's on Gelman. That's on Judge. That's on Graham. That's on Garrett. That's on everybody that's involved with bringing people in here. I mean, we really saw the scramble specifically with offensive line depth towards the end of the offseason and the end of the summer where we like. It was any a lot dude of panic. That, yeah, where any dude that we had from like January, like Jonathan Harrison or something, they were they were kicked to the curb and we're out here trading pieces to get people in, which I think there was a couple stupid trades made with the defensive backroom. When you look at it, guys are not even seeing the field. Josh Jackson, we could have probably traded for a better back, backup offensive lineman. I don't know. I'm not in that position, but we're seeing depth pieces being brought into the team that have no value. And then the ones that are being used, it's like you should really be a third string practice squad guy, but we have you starting because we don't have anybody else there. So to the so to the original point of what Authentic was saying, yeah, I, I agree with that a little bit. But then I also do have a bone to pick with Garrett, where it's like if you don't have that, then adjust a little bit. Because the main problem with this Giants offense, and this is from before Garrett ha came here, it was always been the red zone. We're always – it's crazy to think that we could be on the 40, 30-yard line, and I'm like, oh, all right, yeah, let me get a deep shot here. I, I believe we could score from here. But as soon as we're, like, at the 20, as soon as that space becomes smaller and smaller, I lose a lot of confidence. And the Giants, like we've seen, they just they can't do it for some reason. And we do end up trying to run in a lot of times, and that's just the philosophy of Joe Judge. Um, I don't think that's necessarily Garrett because 
I believe Garrett can be better and he can do some things better and he can be aggressive because when he was actually the play caller and the offensive coordinator for the Cowboys, they had one of the best offenses in the league. And that's, you could say whether it's old school or not, they were top of the league. Uh, I can't remember what the last year he was the actual play caller for the Cowboys was. It, had to it, be was, a, it was a while ago, though. Yeah, it had yeah. to be early 2010s. But still, that was it. If that offense was what we had now, I'd be fine with it. So I don't even think it's necessarily an old school thing. I think this comes back to Judge, where it's like Joe Judge wants to be a bit more conservative or like his version of aggression is different. I think he actually said in a press conference where it's like, you guys think aggressive might be going forward on fourth down. I think aggressive is getting the defense to get back out on the field and getting us the ball back, which I, I don't, I'm not sure. I don't buy into that personally. It's not something that I would think is aggressive, but that's what judge wants to do. Right. So at the end of the day, it's what the head coach wants. And I'm not sure if it's the smartest thing because there are times when we're, we're in the enemy's red zone. There there's literally been times where we're in the enemy's red zone and we kick a field goal instead of trying to go for it on fourth. Um, when I'm not saying go for it every time, but when you're that close and you know you're a team that both this season and I don't know, historically is not the right word, but for a good amount of years now, you've been struggling to score. You might want to try and create opportunities, right? So because the opportunities are not always going to be there. Sometimes you just got to try and force it and create it. And then to um Alex's original point, um, wait, Alex, real quick. In just in a sentence, tell me why you brought up all the top 10 defenses and top 10 offenses, the teams that were there. Because if if you take a look at the offenses and, you know, I'm just going to say this from a general standpoint. I'm not going to you know go into records or anything like that. But you take a look at, uh, obviously, top 10 offenses. Because this league has uh, moved into an offensive pro league, you don't need a top 10 defense. Obviously, I mentioned the Rams. There's I actually have a stat here. If you take a look at winning teams, offensive teams, there are six ranked. There are six teams that have defenses ranked within the teens and three within the twenties. So once again, it kind of proves the point. Now, obviously, you could pick about a couple of teams. You know, the Chiefs are in the twenties. You know, we can make a whole discussion on that. The Bengals too, but you look at some of these teams, and once again, they don't have top ten defenses, but their offense gives. You know, it's a beneficial relationship. They play off of each other, and. Once again, it, and it's just it to me. Before I let Kush keep going, it just seems like with these older teams, these older style teams. Obviously, Judge coming from New England, Bill Belichick, he's conservative himself, and I'll bring that up in a larger discussion in just a moment. By the way, shouts everybody in the chat. The Steelers. I mean, once again, yeah, they do have a defensive head coach in Mike Tomlin, but if you take that defense away, I'm sorry, they're the 2018 New York Giants. That's my opinion. Uh, wait, so, no, wait real sorry, quick, sorry. to finish off my point, no, 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 no. I definitely agree that the league is trending to be more worse, like, you know, offense wins rather than, you know, defense wins, I guess. But I'm I'm not sure if that particular, like, the stats you brought up necessarily support it. Because, once again, I think it was all thing that pointed out, like, the Rams are technically not a top 10 defense. But we know that they're a defense that's going to perform like one of the best when the, you know, push comes to shove. So... I will say that you still do need a really good defense in the NFL to win. You still do need, like, a really, really good one, you know? Like, yeah, even sorry, sorry. Uh, what were the Chiefs at the end of the year? 
when they won the Super Bowl, what, what were the defense ranked at at the end of the year? Does anybody it wasn't know? as bad as people thought it was. I yeah, right. I think I think like people think it was actually worse. Yeah, this year's been a lot worse. Yeah, yeah this year so, was bad for the Chiefs defense. I don't know. I still think you need a really good defense, even though I still do agree. Yeah, it is trending more offensively. But go ahead. Yeah, uh, I think so. Th- this is going to be a little bit of an obscure YouTube reference uh, for some people. Uh, there's uh, a guy who most people probably know called John Boys, who makes a show called Sharp Party for SB Nation. Uh, and uh, he did an episode on the San Diego Chargers of 2010. And for those that don't remember, they had the number one offense and oh, the number yeah. one defense in the league simultaneously, and they missed the playoffs with the number one offense and defense in the same year because their special teams was just that bad. And if you're going to look at those those numbers, and there was a great chart he showed with offensive ranking and defensive ranking for every playoff team and showed just how difficult it is if you don't have a good enough of one despite how elite the other can be to make the playoffs. And if you're going to look at the the Chargers, who had the number one offense and number one defense, Phillip Rivers was, I believe, top three in passing yards and touchdowns, and they had a running back whose name escapes me who was top three or four in the league rushing. No, it wasn't Tomlinson at that point. I can't remember. Uh, But the point is, and they had the number one defense in the league, and that team didn't make the playoffs because of special teams. So personally, I wouldn't say you need a great defense to be a competitive team in the league and to win big games, but you most certainly cannot survive without at least a good defense. Yeah, that's what I'm saying, at least a good one. Yeah, you still need a really good one. Yeah, I, now, think, I think it boils down to balance. You know, it's mm-hmm. the Kansas City Chiefs are the perfect example, and I'll give you another example on the opposite end of the spectrum as well. The Chiefs are so good on offense. They have the unicorn at quarterback. They have the playmakers on offense where the defense can be a little bit worse, right? But look at a team like the Minnesota Vikings. Have a great offense, have every piece you would want in offense. They got the running back. They have the backup running back. They got the two wide receivers. When healthy, they have the tight end. They're always in the conversation, but they're never going to get over the top because the defense is so bad. So it, it's about tipping the scale one way or another. If, if your offense is that good, then maybe you have a little bit more lead room to be able to have a defense that isn't that great. But it's still balanced at the end of the day. And I think all the teams that you guys um, you know, favor that are in the top 10 as far as offenses go, they all do have that quarterback. That, that, it's not a question at the quarterback position for teams like the Rams or the Packers or the Chiefs or the Ravens or all these teams like the Bills, even the Titans. I don't even think they have a question at quarterback, even though he's probably one of the least, you know, he's not as good as the other guys in that conversation, but there's not a question mark at the quarterback no, position. No shot. Yeah. Uh, I, I definitely, uh, sorry, before you, before you say anything, Alex, I, I agree wholeheartedly with what Authentic's saying there. Quarterback, as we love to say, and we have continued to say, and will continue to say, is the most important position on the field. And I think when we're, when we're talking about all these things, it is important to consider that when you have one player that influences the game that much, it can mask some other problems. And I think Authentic's making a good point about balance, and quarterback does play into that. And you look at teams, like take the Ravens' loss to Miami. The Ravens were, were playing really, really excellent defense against Miami offense that wasn't doing a whole lot until Tua got in late. But with Lamar Jackson having one off day, and he's been playing outstanding football all season long, like MVP race caliber Literally, football Nate, wasn't Jackson. it Monday I was on your channel and we were yeah, talking we, about yeah. that? Mm-hmm. Well, well, we can talk about that later. But the point is, Lamar Jackson had one off day, 
and you can see just how important that quarterback position is. Because if you're not going to be able to mask those problems for the Ravens, those problems are that their receivers aren't healthy. And when they're not healthy, they don't have quite enough firepower to really get over the top in the passing game. And also on top of that, they don't have their starting running back. Lamar Jackson has been masking those problems. The Dolphins were doing some stuff. They got him off his game. And without Lamar Jackson to bridge that gap, it wasn't there anymore. Yeah. Um, just to quickly, I honestly worded, worded it where it's, uh, it sounded like one way, but I really didn't mean it one way, but to be, to be a contender or at least an over 500 record, you could have a defense that's in the twenties and have an offense that's in the top tens. That's kind of what I was trying to say, but I also, once again, didn't word it correctly. So the chiefs fall into that category as one mentioned, the Bengals fall into that category. I mean, the AFC North is just an absolute shit show. Jesus. Um, yeah. The entire AFC is a meat grinder, man. <laughs> yeah. it's Everyone's beating up on each other. But, yeah, I mean, I, I do get a points, a lot of points from around the table. And uh, I forget who was talking about this. I think it was either Nate or Cush. You know, Patrick Graham said it best, adapt or die. And if you don't have the weapons, you know, you try to make something out of it. And – that's what I have to say about that. Also, another thing that, you know, many people could point to number one, Derek Carr, he still functions with his offensive line being terrible. And I mean, terrible, probably one of the worst in the league. Also the giants as well. Um, and you look at green Bay, Aaron Rodgers went to Arizona, was missing a couple wide receivers. No problem for him. And you take a look at that offensive line as well. They're 2019, Second-round pick, Ellison Jenkins, is playing left tackle. David Bakhtiari, the all-pro that everybody knows the name of, he's not in there. There's a couple other guys that are not in there. It's about depth, as I think Kush was talking about. We could have gotten something better. We had a lot of defensive backs. Now, obviously, Aaron Robinson, you know, he was on PUP at the time. And we traded Yadam. What was that? I said his tummy hurts. <laughs> his tummy hurts. You know, um, I thought Isaac Yadam was at least decent. I kind of criticized him too much last year. But once again, he's, you know, an average corner. Josh Jackson didn't even see the field. So it's about also utilizing that personnel. But there's yeah. John Run, there's John Runyon on that uh, Packers offensive line. Lucas Patrick, you know, a couple other guys. They made it work. We didn't yeah. because we're – and once again, I point to this, even though statistically the defense is not good. In Baltimore right now, Don Martindale for the last couple of years, you know, he's had scraps at times on the pass rushing side. He still blitzes the shit out of quarterbacks. So once again, it's about adapt or die. Uh, went over the Packers thing. And Nate was talking about it with the philosophy of, you know, we're not going to score seven points every time or something like that. Here are two situations that I'm obviously going to let you guys give your thoughts on. You look at 2019, Daniel Jones, fumbling machine, turnover machine. We all know that. But the thing is, though, even with a bad defense, that offense still scored points. And they're right now compared to the 2019 situation and right now in the last two years with this team, I'm going to say team because it's not on one person, there's so little margin for error that if there's a fumble, if there's an interception, it's, it means it's the end of the game. We talk about the Chiefs game, right? Daniel Jones throws that interception. That's seven points that we could have had back. We, I mean, there's always those coulda, woulda, shoulda factors in the NFL in any sport. But when you leave it so little margin for error, 
it becomes a bigger talking point. And obviously those talking points get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And also something I want to talk about as well, like the Josh Jackson thing, like the Billy Price thing. People were questioning Dave Gettleman, obviously, with the B.J. Hill trade. Now, he had a good start in Cincinnati. I don't know what he's doing right now. But the thing is, though, oh, you know, D.J. Hill, he's serviceable, this, that, and the other thing. Well, let's be honest, people. B.J. Hill would have been at the back of the depth chart if he stayed with the Giants. He would have been at the back. He would have been behind Danny Shelton, that overweight turtle. Um, He would have been behind Raymond Johnson. Any defense Austin Johnson too. Austin Johnson as well. And, you know, he he wasn't replicating the production that he was in his rookie year. Obviously broke the sack record. Aziz is probably going to go over that. But with that being said, he was somewhat serviceable. Danny Shelton gets pushed on his ass every time in the run game. And I know Coach is going to talk about that. <laughs> yeah. Overweight turtle. Yes. That man has a sack of dirty laundry, bro. <laughs> look, at, look, look at the way he's built, bro. He's built like the Michelin man, but like worse. I don't know how to describe it. The Michelin man, but worse. I think you just described it perfectly there, Coach. I think that was right on the money. And the reason he's double teamed is because of his weight. Let's be honest, because obviously there's a lot of, you know, 300 pound linemen in the NFL. Obviously, it depends on if you're Aaron Donald or you're just big and fat like Dexter Lawrence or whatever. But the thing is, though, you compare some of these 300 pound guys, which in my opinion is an older philosophy. And that's actually going to be a topic later on compared to a certain team a couple of years ago. But you compare a guy like Aaron Donald who has strength or Leonard Williams and Austin Johnson who have some, who have strength they are almost over 300 pounds. Danny Shelton is expected to have more muscle, but he keeps getting bulldozed in the run game. It doesn't make any sense. And once again, once again, going back to that point, Josh Jackson, what he wasn't utilized by, you know, the coaching staff. So you can't always say, oh, well, it's the GM. And I get that point. Trust me. I think everybody gets that point. But it's up to the coaches. And why am I bringing this up, you ask? Because Joe Judge said in his press conference, his inductory press conference, you we can't fit square pegs, circle holes and square pegs, some shit It like was something that. like that. Yeah. yeah. Basically, we're going to use saying, players for their strengths, basically. Yeah. And we were talking the previous year, we were talking, you know, just the uh, Giants community. Oh, well, James Betcher, you know, misused Coy Ballantyne, Sam Beal, and all these other pieces. Well, let's talk about this as well. So those are some of the things that just really, you know, I had to get off my chest. And I was taking notes from you guys and what you were saying. So uh, I would just say pass that around the table, uh, you know, the same spin of the order. Yeah. Um, so as far as Danny Shelton goes, it's just a – um you know, another bad assessment of a player. And I think that that part does fall on the gym. You know, you, you got to bring in the right talent. Um, and I don't expect it to be perfect by no means, but when you just neglect certain areas like the offensive line entering the whole 2021 season, I mean, it's pitiful. It's almost like, um, how could I compare it? It's like, it's like putting a fix a flat like in your tire and driving on the highway and expecting that to last for a long time. And we've done that in multiple places. You know, we waited on the linebacker signing when, um, Blake Martinez went down. I want to say we waited two or three weeks, you know, and knowing where to place your players. It took us seven weeks just to figure out that James Bradbury is good in the slot when going up against bigger tight ends. And you see him shut down uh, Travis Kelsey and uh, Darren Waller. He didn't really shut him down, but he we, he limited him as pretty, you know, as best as he could do, which is 
probably the best approach that we could possibly have in situations like that. But my thing is there's a lot of money being thrown around here. So why is it taking so long for them to make these adjustments? And I think, you know, that it, it, that's a combination of the coaching staff and the GMs, you know, and just being able to just pull that trigger, which is why I had to go in and kind of reassess the way that I uh, broke down the game plan last week against the Raiders. You know, at first glance, I was one of the people that was like, what are we doing here? Why, why are we only throwing the ball 20 times with Daniel Jones for 110 yards? And, you know, with talking with a bunch of Giants content creators and other people online, kind of shifted my opinion on it that that was what had to be done in that game because of lack of talent. You look at the offensive line, as soon as we got into a four wide receiver set, empty backfield, Daniel Jones gets sacked and you get that fumble and it almost changed the whole uh, momentum of the game. And I, I think, thank God, we got back to the running game because that really kept us in it. But I think that it's, um, you know, the GM is doing a disservice to the coaching staff when you're not bringing in the right guys. A lot of the players that you named, I mean, we make a trade, uh, even swap at cornerback for a guy with uh, Isaac Yadam that we know played a pretty decent football last year when in compared to what happened the first couple of weeks this season, for sure. You know, a guy that we could use instead of Jackson, who hasn't even seen the field. We uh, wasted a... Um, a uh, roster spot for Sam Beal for a long time there. You know, uh, Gary Brightwell is another one that they say they're using for special teams, so I'm always keeping my eye out on him for special teams, but this team desperately needs another running back. Don't, don't I don't think Penny Keon is the Carson right guy now. for that. The guy that Carson. we traded like a six-round pick for, Authentic, to beat a special teams ace, and he almost cost us, like he was costing yeah. us a lot of yards this past game. That's with, very, with it's very interesting. And I mean, even the, the, the penalty with Penny at the end of um, the Chiefs game, yeah. like it just looked like players aren't, they're not ready for that spotlight quite yet. I can compare this to um, when you look at the Broncos game against the Cowboys this past week. They had a left tackle out there who was a backup. He was a three-year guy coming out of Rice. Um, Calvin Anderson, I believe his name is. He shut down Randy Gregory all day. So, like, why can't we find these pieces that are actually valuable that look more like a second string depth piece than a third or fourth string or a practice string or practice squad kind of guy? You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Exactly. Can I just go real quick because I, I got to yeah, carry sure, my sure. plate and then I'll be back. So, to sure. add on to that, it, it goes back to my original point of our depth is really bad for no good reason. There's no good reason it should be bad. I put that on Dave. I put that on the coaches. But more importantly, on I Dave. mean, I've been saying this for weeks now. We need a new scouting staff, a completely new the player evaluation staff, because I don't think that's changed with our past three head coaches. I really don't, especially when you see those Giants Life episodes and stuff like that, and we see like Chris Pettit, I believe his name is, or like, oh, he's been the head of scouting for this many years. I'm like, oh, you've been there for a while, bro. Yeah. You've done good things, but you've also done a whole lot of bad. Like, I, yeah. that, there's, we can't keep changing the face and not change the employees under them. You know what I mean? Yeah. If we're going to change something, how about we look there? And um, I'm also going to continue to blame Chris Mara. He's always been involved with it, but he then became, I keep forgetting his title, where he's kind of in charge of the scouting guys, where player evaluation, I believe, is what Chris Mara is in charge of. And it's no coincidence that he's been there 10 years and we haven't been good for essentially 10 years. Like, we really need to look at those positions as well, because as much as you change the head, if you don't change, you know, the rest of the body, like you're going to get the same, um, you're going to get the same results. Yeah. 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 And real quickly, I wanted to say too, um, you know, like with the, with the change, you know, it's like you can build a roster that looks good on paper, but that does not mean you have a good team. You, you have to find the right key pieces that work well together. You know, when thinking about chemistry, when they were making all the free, uh, free agent acquisitions that they did, they didn't think about, oh, all these guys are all coming back hurt. 
So the chances, likelihood of them getting hurt again during the season, coming in banged up, is very high. And I, I just think that, yeah, that's front office, that's GM, that's that's all of them. They're just not assessing the situation properly. I mean, even us as fans, you can just look at the offensive line situation coming out of week four of the preseason or week three this year, and we were just like, when are they going to make a move? And they wait like a couple of days before the season to actually make the move. It's just really sloppy management at the end of the day. Yeah, uh, I agree with all that. I think um... – one of the things that a lot of us have seen is the fact that there was so much panic before this season during the offseason. A lot of these moves Dave Gettleman was making specifically with the offensive line and the depth therein. Uh, he clearly wanted a couple of pieces in the draft that got taken. Uh, definitely Landon Dickerson that the Eagles took, uh, and he was panicking after he got taken. And we ended up not even coming away with one offensive lineman in the whole draft, which was a problem. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I was one of the people who liked a lot of the moves we made, specifically the first two picks, but... Then you look at the later round, guys. Trey Smith was there for a long, long time. Uh, and a lot of teams pass on him. And now he's playing not incredible ball for the Chiefs, but decent ball. Uh, starting caliber ball. Definitely starting left guard type football on the Giants, at least. So I think that's definitely something to talk about. And Dave Gettleman is one of the many people who deserve blame for this. Uh, another thing is, I think th this is in large part in a lot of ways, a consequence of the fact that we're a revolving door in the coaching staff, because a lot of the stuff that we're talking about here can only really be established over a course of a decent amount of years. Uh, a perfect example being uh, in the Packers. Like, I'm going to talk for a minute about the Packers offensive line here. Now, they're really banged up. They lost a couple of pieces in the offseason, specifically to the Chargers. They lost uh, the tackle. Um, God, how am I? Brian Balaga. Sorry. They lost Corey Lindsley, the, the center slash guard slash everything. And the Packers, for a long, long time, have had really good offensive lines, specifically because their coaching is so excellent in that department. And they've had a lot of time to work with these guys. And as they've had veterans there, they bring in rookies. And they bring in other small names that a lot of people necessarily haven't heard of. And they coach them up and teach them the same technique they're teaching the older guys. Uh, with, with the offensive line of the Packers, they are sort of the pioneer, at least in the NFL, of the hug technique, which, for, for those who do not know, is basically holding that isn't holding, and they get away with it every week. And I think a lot of that is stuff that only really happens and gets established when you have time to work through some of the problems that we're being plagued by right now. You're not going to be able to establish that great coaching and that, I'll use the word, philosophy – and those certain little small things that make all the big difference on Sundays. You're not going to be able to establish that in a year. You're not going to be able to establish it in half a year. You're certainly not going to be able to establish it in the few weeks that we had all of our guys in the preseason. So I think a lot of that comes back to the coaching. A lot of it comes back to the GM. A lot of it just comes back to bad luck. But whatever the thing is, it's, it's the same way with every single problem we have. There is not one thing that can be fixed. It's one of those reasons why I and a lot of people are saying it really feels like we just need a fresh start. It really feels like we just need to blow the whole thing up. And I know it's tough to say that when we're a game and a half out of the playoffs, and I certainly don't want to do it yet. I want to ride out the season. I am a big Daniel Jones fan. I like him. I think if we give him an opportunity, he's shown that he can be our guy. There's a lot of things that I think can be salvaged from this roster. You know, there's a lot of core pieces that I really like. But at the same time, when it comes to the head coach and the GM, number one, we cannot keep firing one and keeping the other. It is a vicious cycle that we are stuck in that does not work. And I see Alex wants to talk about that. We'll get to it later, I'm sure. And in that same vein, like like Kush said, 
And this is a quote that I think we both probably heard from the same place, which was when Bill Belichick was talking about the Giants. Him and Brady were on the field before a game, and he's like, hey, look around at all these guys. They have all been here longer than I've been in the NFL. This is one of those organizations where no one leaves except the head coach because they run them out of town every year. And that's a problem. And we're, we're trying to fix these things. And we're trying to, like, one of the things we were talking about earlier was Daniel Jones and not having weapons and not having an offensive line. And uh, I, I was listening to Hit Squad's stream earlier tonight. And uh, Joel was asked, what do you want to do at quarterback if those problems are still there? How are we going to evaluate Jones? I think the problem is, no matter who's at quarterback, you're still not going to be able to evaluate him with an offensive line that doesn't give two and a half seconds and receivers that are always injured. So you got to fix the organizational problems before you can look at one man, one quarterback, one GM, one head coach, and say it's all your fault. Unfortunately, to me, and a lot of people as well, I think, it seems like the only way to do that is just flush out the whole damn thing. Yeah, I do want to get to a couple points as well uh, going off of that. But my brother, who actually, for some reason, is actually watching this, says the best GMs find mid find value in mid to later rounds, even if it's just good depth guys. Gettleman has not done that. I can agree there. Um, cough, Ravens, cough. Ravens, yes, <laughs> big example. So I want to point to two things. In terms of depth, I'll start there. And then I'll talk about philosophy in terms of, you know, don't pull the Jets, which actually I was going to say, and he, he just, it twin telepathy. Anyway, um, everybody remembers BW Web from 2018. Yeah. Everybody remembers, you know, these cast-offs and all these other things, right? Um, so, true story. I Before I was a content creator, I actually did like a little fan page just to get my opinion out, whatever. And uh, a guy, you know, criticized me on one of the comments i made i said bw web is a bad move and he goes what are you talking about you know you only signed it for two million dollars blah 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 it was like a veteran minimum contract the problem is is that yeah the money means something but where you could actually reverse that talk about eli manning in his last year as a giant because he's getting paid all the money in the world the money is one point the position they're put in is another Curtis Riley, out of all friggin' people, free safety. What you could have done is at both free safety and cornerback, because cornerback, we all know what happened. Eli Apple got traded, and, you know, we had, we started picking up castoffs. Tony Lippett was one, whatever. Um, what you could have done at either spot, Kyle Oletta was a waste of a pick. Now, RJ McIntosh, obviously, they, you know, they thought, you know, big things of him at the time, missed the first half of the season, whatever. Kyle Oletta was a waste of a pick. I don't I don't understand it to this day. I never did understand it. But that could have easily been an offensive tackle, a quarterback. But the problem is, is that the mentality at the time was, we need to win now to give Eli another year. Now, let me go into philosophical standpoints. Obviously, Giants fans are mad. And, you know, they're, they're very, they're more positive on Judge than they are positive on Gettleman, which at points, yes. But the problem is, is that some of the minds on Twitter think alike to what John Merritt is doing. You can't just sit here and say, okay, we're going we're gonna to sit here, we're going to fire Dave Gettleman, we're going to keep Joe Judge and his coaching staff. Because that's, that's not how it works. As Nate brought up, you know, you can't, you can't be doing, you know, you're fired, you're fired without changing something on the inside. 
if Joe Judge stays, I hope Giant fans know that the philosophy is not changing. I don't care if they get a new GM from New England, new GM from Baltimore, Austin Fort, the guy I think from Tennessee or something like that, whatever. It's not changing. It's not. He's getting this conservative approach from New England, which one point to uh, get into that just for two seconds is when Brady came back to Gillette Stadium, that game was very close. It was a fourth and three. It was about 54 seconds left in the game. Fourth and three. Mac Jones right now looks like the best rookie QB in the class. For sure. Yeah. And you don't trust him there to at least get a fourth and three first down. The field goal kicker was Nick Folk. He misses it. And guess what? That's the end of the game. So what Giants fans need to remember is, well, you know, things are not going to change unless everybody's gone. And it's even a stretch to say, oh, well, when everybody's gone, because we know how Mara thinks. He's very, he's very, you know, into it in terms of concern, you know, just an old school mindset. But once again, you have to change the coaches. And, you know, even Patrick Graham doesn't play the most aggressive. And at times he has in the past. But once again, with Jason Garrett, with Joe Judge, with all these other things, that's not going to change with the new GM. You have to yeah. flush it out. Um, and uh, uh, are you going to bring up a comment real quick? Uh, you can go ahead. Yeah, you're bringing up something that I I did want to talk about when I when I saw that the the theme of this was going to be sort of the philosophy and whatnot. This is about something, and I know authentic. Uh, this was on a tweet that you made. Uh, a lot of Giants fans are obsessed with the same idea that like you're talking about that John Mara has in his head of the Giants way, and that pisses me off to no end. I love that this team has tradition. I love that this team has a deep rich history i love that it's wonderful i love to be able to sit down to to an nfl films and watch lawrence taylor and watch those old school defenses destroy people for an hour it's one of the the biggest treats of having a, a franchise like this that we can look back on good times those good times are way in the rear view mirror it is time to wake up and smell the coffee in the giants front office and in the giants ownership booth the trash can kicking does not cut it, John. Things need to change. The Giants' way of that old-school punch-you-in-the-mouth mentality is great. It's wonderful to have aggression. I think you need aggression to be a successful football team. I talked about that earlier. But from a roster-building standpoint, from a philosophical standpoint, you have to get with the times. And this was on something Authentic was talking about with build the team like the Rams. Yeah. Look at what the Rams have been doing. The Rams is... The entire organization there is pedal to the metal 24-7, 365. Every single move they make, every play call, every roster decision, every draft pick is meant to squeeze every ounce possible out of the resources they have. And it doesn't matter about the future because they live in the now. And every single year, first off, that also, by the way, before I keep going, they acknowledge what the Saints have known for a decade and a half, which is that the salary cap does not exist. So that's how they're doing this, by the way. But the Rams, every single time, it's like playing a video game, you're presented two choices. You're in, you're in the Matrix. Morpheus offers you red pill, blue pill. <laughs> every single time, the Rams say, what is going to help us win next week? I don't give a crap about next year. I don't care what's going to happen down the road. What's going to help me win right now? How many picks do I have to get to get Matt Stafford? The guy that I know is going to be able to take us where we need to be? I don't care how many picks it takes. I'm going to pay up. I'm going to get what we need right now. What's it going to take to get Von Miller and put him on the same defensive line as Aaron Donald? 
Who mm-hmm. cares? Now, I don't care what we gave up. We now have Aaron Donald and Von Miller. Good luck. Have fun. <laughs> Enjoy that, offensive line coaches of the league and in the NFC West. You're not going to have fun. It's not going to end up well because the Rams consistently, consistently, and now they're getting Odell Beckham Jr., they make these moves to be as aggressive as possible. And look where it's gotten them. Even on defense, Sean McVay went out and got a corner a couple of years ago in Jalen Ramsey and paid up big for him from his wallet and from his draft picks. He went and got a guy that he knows in a big moment when it's balls on the table, everything on the line. He can say, Jalen Ramsey, there's the best receiver in the league. You're one-on-one. Press him up. Get in his face. Let's do this. And he knows that's one guy or one side of the field. Does not matter. It's over. It's done. And he knows that. And Sean McVay and that front office is on the cutting edge. And that is why the Rams every year are in the playoff conversation and usually in the Super Bowl conversation. That's what we need The Giants' way is not getting that done anymore. And look at Brandon Staley. Brandon Staley was the Rams' defensive coordinator until this year. He goes to the Chargers, and now he's doing exciting things. And now that team looks really good. A lot of people were saying, oh, man, I love the talent on the roster, but Brandon Staley's a rookie head coach. It doesn't matter because that philosophy, like we're talking about, is rooted in the organization. Sean McVay got there a while ago, back when they were still the St. Louis Rams, and he started immediately building that up from the foundations. And now that organization trusts him fully. If you don't think that's the Sean McVay show, you're tripping. And yep. now look where the Rams are. The Rams are where every team should want to be. And that's that's all that is. Yeah, and then when I when I talked about that, I got a bit of backlash from it too, but you know, you look at Sean McVay, he's only 35 years old right now. He's three years younger than me, which is just absolutely crazy. The first year he gets over there, he's just wheeling, dealing picks. They haven't had a first-round pick since he's been there. Mm-hmm. And they're just continuously building this roster with proven players. I've talked about that with the Giants. The Giants got to find a way to, to have balance to be able to bring in people from the draft, but also go out there and get those players that you need that are you know are going to make this roster better and make this team better. And, and the Giants, they really have no excuse because the Rams, the year before McVay got there, they were 4-12. and The year before that, they were 7-9, and I believe. So you talking about a losing franchise back-to-back years with Jeff Fisher at the helm pretty much. McVay comes in there as a young, innovative coach. He starts wheeling, dealing. And, and look at the Rams now. They've been pushing for the Super Bowl pretty much for two to three years, bare minimum. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, the Giants, we've had five years of, of mediocrity. And just one last point to say about um, what you were saying about the Giants' way. Like, I've been watching Giants football since the late 80s. That way has been done. When, when Victor Cruz came out here and we won the Super Bowl in 2011, that was not off of old-school Giants football. That was a new way of throwing the ball down the field, Eli Manning's most yards of his career. So for me, for them to try to regress and go back to this older philosophy, I think it's just silly. But at the end of the day, you should be able to get that out of a coach who has an old-school approach as well. I mean, I, I do think that there are just limitations within this team, especially on the offense, and as of late, For me, I've been questioning the quarterback position because, one, there are no wide receivers that excel in this league right now as a pure bona fide number one if they don't got that guy at quarterback. That's That's just the facts, right? And I'm starting to look at our quarterback like he's good. He's a a solid player, but going into that third year, you want him to make that jump. I know everybody is comparing it to Josh Allen from when Stephon Diggs got over there. We're like, oh, he got his weapon. Here comes the jump with Daniel Jones and with Jason Garrett, right when you think that jump's going to happen, when they bring in the talent, all these guys start falling like flies, and he's back to regressing to where he was in 2020. Now, 2021 kind of seems like an extension 
of 2020. And I, I think Jason Garrett has done fantastic things with, with Daniel Jones. But at the end of the day, I think we can't keep calling for 2019 Daniel Jones because for me, I didn't enjoy watching football in 2019 with the New York Giants. Daniel Jones was all over the place. And I, um, Online Big Blue actually brought this to my attention. Uh, three of the games had 13 touchdowns in them. So you're looking at the rest of those games, he had 11 touchdowns in those games. I went and I broke down every fumble. There was 11 lost fumbles by Daniel Jones. Five of them were scooping scores. Like, that, those kind of plays cannot happen. And the only reason why those turned into scooping scores, it was five of them, and the, um, there was another one that got kneeled at the one or got tackled down at the one-yard line. The only reason why that happens is because your quarterback's not seeing it coming at all. He gets yeah. blindside hit, and now the defense has the advantage to pick up the ball and scoop and score it. So, for me, I don't want to see Daniel Jones go back to 2019. I know a lot of fans have been asking for that. I want to see the maturation of Daniel Jones turn into a top 10, top 15 quarterback. And I honestly am running out of excuses. I, you know, maybe he has to do this with what is just presented there. At least give us those flashes that you can take this team and win games and make plays on your own, which I think a lot of the fan base is giving him credit for. But for me, what I'm missing is those last drives. You look at the Raiders game. He's got a chance to put them away. We're up by one. You take the team down there and you score seven, you might be able to go for two and push it to a nine-point uh, lead, and it's not even a game with the Raiders. They give you another opportunity late in that game. You push it down and you get us three after getting two major third-down plays to Kadarius Toney and uh, Kenny Gowday, and then he had the third down where he did the spin as well. You're seeing some good plays, but ultimately you got to put the ball in the end zone. And for me, that touchdown number is very important for the quarterback. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, real quick, because uh, there was a lot of that that I, I want to respond to. I 100% I agree. One of the things for me that is the most intangible, most important rather, intangible, and we talk about intangibles, the most important to me is clutch. If you can't get it done in the big moment, you can't be my quarterback. Can't do it. I cannot have a Kirk Cousins helming my team. I can't yeah. accept that, man. That's not like the goal of every franchise is to win the Super Bowl. And if you can't win in the big moments, you're not going to win the Super Bowl. But to table Daniel Jones for one second, because I know we will end up talking about him again, so we'll save that for later. Yeah. We always end up talking about Daniel Jones again on Giants streams. There was one word Authentic said in there that I think sums it up brilliantly, which was innovative. And that's one of the things. This stream is meant to talk about philosophy. Let's, let's take a minute and talk about what we're talking about, right? The innovation of Sean McVay and some of those other coaches, we like, we, it's, it's like it's shrouded in mystery with Andy Reid and these other schemes. And people like to say all this stuff about how, how brilliant it is and no one ever really talks exactly about what they're saying. For me, the idea of it is Sean McVay, a lot of the best stuff that his offense and his defense does, he steals from other teams. And if you're not willing to have an eye towards the future and think constantly about what the next big thing is, you're going to get left in the dust. And that's kind of where this Jason Garrett offense is to me right now. And that's kind of where this team is to me right now. Because Patrick Graham, the adapter die, like we're talking about, that's why I like him as a coach. That's why I like him as a defensive coordinator. Because it may have taken a minute. It may have taken a little longer than I would have liked. Yeah. But he saw that what he was doing wasn't working. And he said, we're not at an hour mark yet. He said, oh crap. We got to change this stuff up. James Bradbury in that Washington football team game, granted he was playing some bad football at the start of the year, I'll give him that, but James Bradbury was 10 yards off the ball on Terry McLaurin on 90% of the man coverage snaps in that game, and that just ain't going to work. Now, 
Patrick Graham has gone back to the drawing board. We're at the midway point of the season, that point where we have to say, are, is our coaching staff adjusting? And it looks like Patrick Graham is adjusting. And if you can't be innovative and can't change, can't be willing to implement, implement new things, you're just not going to keep up with the fast pace of the league these days. The world moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you will miss it. Not you could miss it. You will miss it. And I think with, with this offense and with this coaching staff, that's what we're seeing. I think that's the part of the philosophy offensively that I look at Jason Garrett and go, did he really, maybe he made a change there. I mean, you, you look at how many times we ran the ball against the Raiders and we really didn't even throw to our wide receivers in that game. Those four targets, I believe, in that game. And I, like I said, when I was looking at it live, that, that's not sexy football. You know, that's not like, oh, we stretching the field, we going crazy. I think there was only like two or three throws that were over 15 yards in the whole game. Sure. But the, at the end of the day, the Giants get the win. So for me, is I know that doesn't look like your traditional innovation, right? But when we look at games early on in this year where Daniel Jones is throwing the ball over 35 times and we're losing the game still, close games sometimes. You look at the Washington yeah, yeah, yeah. game, he played pretty much his best game, you know, of the season, one of them. The Saints game, the comeback with seven minutes left is amazing. But I think there are limitations there at quarterback that Jason Garrett's having to deal with. You know, you, you look at the game against the Chiefs. Yeah, they go down there. They, they drain a lot of clock with some mismanagement from the head coach there with the timeouts. But we still got the ball back with 105 left in the game. What does Daniel Jones go out there and do? He takes two sacks, throws one pass for three yards and an incompletion, and the game's over. That, that is just going to deflate the fan base right there. And I think that, you know, I wish I could be a fly on the wall in these meetings with Joe yeah, Judge, yeah. with Jason Garrett, to see really what the philosophy is on? because a lot of people talk about the philosophy, but, like, we really don't know what the approach is. I don't know if, if uh, Joe Judge is saying, look, fourth and one, I want us to kick it here. Or, you know, if Jason Garrett is in his ear saying, hey, why don't we go for it here? But in that last game against the Raiders, it looked like there was a scripted drive for that first drive. They passed the ball. It looked fantastic. Ends with a touchdown from a guy we really don't expect it from in Evan Ingram. And they come out the next drive and they fumble, and it's like they completely just go, we're deading that whole game plan. And they relied on the run. And when the run is working, that's the quarterback's best friend. You see a good day from Booker. You see a good day from Daniel Jones. And in return, the Giants get a win. So I, I know. I, I'm sorry. I know. I, I just want to respond directly to that. Uh, I will do my best to keep this brief. Like you said, we, we're really just speculating. But because that's what we're doing, I'm going to. I, I just I disagree. I think with Jason Garrett, I don't think necessarily it's so much of a this is what's working type thing and this is what we can and can't do I just don't think he's he's willing to take the chance and let Daniel Jones try to make something happen and I know it's tough to watch fumbles that sucked it was really bad but at the same time we're talking about the offensive line and what Jason Garrett's working with and we're talking about the receivers and what Jason Garrett's working yeah. with the offensive line yeah it's not good it's not but credit to Justin Pennick of Talking Giants He's been doing something recently. He's taken out a stopwatch. He's seeing exactly how much time on these throws past the sticks Daniel Jones has. And most of the time, he's getting close to three seconds. And the receivers are getting open by the time he should be able to throw the ball out. The problem is we're just not giving it enough of an opportunity to develop. A lot of these deep passing concepts and even intermediate passing concepts in the, in the NFL rely on being set up with earlier things and getting something in the defensive's head to have them react to something that isn't really there. That's a lot of what scripting plays is, and you're talking about that, that scripted first drive. Yep. For me, I think if you're, if you're going to give something like one opportunity a game to work, 
it's not going to work out. It's, it's just never going to happen like that. I think if we want to see Daniel Jones become that guy, we have to give him an opportunity to become that guy. I would quickly want to go to Kush because he's been very quiet. Yeah, what I'm are, sorry. Are, I'm talking too much. A lot of this. I don't have. I don't have much. Right now. I don't have much to <laughs> add that hasn't already been said. Okay, so. <laughs> Unfortunately. I, I do so, think that we have seen some opportunities from Daniel Jones, though. I mean, you know, you could date back to his whole career. I mean, they've they've seen what he can do when put in a position to throw the ball a lot. And in the Pat Shermer scheme, he threw it a whole lot. I mean, he had games where he was over 40 attempts a bunch of times. And it just seems that he has a big turnover in every game. You know, you eight of his 13 appearances in 2019, he fumbled the ball at least one time. Even in his game against Washington when he had five touchdowns that first season, he still fumbled the ball. You, um, The Jets game. And, these, you know, a lot of these happen in losses. Yeah. The Jets game and the Lions game, we put up 30 points in both of those games. Daniel Jones fumbled it like nine times. Yeah. For me, that's, that's, like, that's rookie season stuff to me. Because I know the fumbling is still a problem, but it has been just linearly getting better with the situation. It has been yeah. steady improvement from Daniel Jones on that front. And, like, I more look at this year – as we're, we're talking about the idea of evaluation and you can't evaluate him with all this bad stuff going on. Okay, so let's look at the games where he does have maybe a little bit something better to work with. Look at Washington. I look specifically at the Saints. It may not have been an incredible, decisive, we crushed the Saints, but Daniel yeah. Jones got it done that game. Yeah, he and that's did. one game in the whole season that we saw him like, whoa, when it was like crunch time. They really went down there and got the points that we needed necessary. But, I mean, going into seven minutes left in that game in the fourth quarter, it looked like the Giants were going to lose another game. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm just I, saying, for me, when, when you're talking about – Sorry, sorry. I, I, I just wanted to say one more thing and I'm done. I think when, when Authentic's talking about seeing flashes and seeing, like, if we can get him in a position to succeed, will he? That's, that's flashes to me. Like, yeah. those games, like against Washington, against the Saints, I know the Washington game was a loss – but Daniel Jones, to me, I give Daniel Jones credit for a win in that game because he did everything that should have led to a win. Yeah. So for me, I look at those games and I say, that's not evidence that he's a franchise guy, but that's certainly evidence enough that he can be. For sure, especially for this franchise. I mean, and, and I don't think you need to be a franchise guy to be able to win games in the NFL. It, it does have a lot to do with the pieces around you. And um, which is why I kind of keep hammering the point about Garrett and adjusting the game plan, because you look at what's happening at left tackle and right tackle right now with the Giants it's, it's literally just pitiful. And yeah. Daniel Jones, even in the Washington game, I was there front and center sitting in the end zone in that game. He had pressure on him all night, even on the overthrow or the whatever you want to call it, the drop to uh, Darius Slayton. I'll that call it a drop because it was a drop. That was a drop. But, you know, if he doesn't have the pressure in his face, you probably get a real lollipop, easier kind of catch on that. And a lot of good throws that he made that day. He made them with people right in his face. But that's the thing with Daniel Jones that I'm waiting to see is that consistency of, sure, of sure. showing that you can win these games. And for me, like, I'm, I played quarterback in high school. So when I when I support a team, like, especially how I support the Giants, this is my number one team in any sport, it should be very easy for me to go out there and cop your jersey. And I think there's a reason why I haven't copped a Daniel Jones jersey yet, if you know what I'm saying. That's a solid take right there. Yeah, that, that, that jersey one, I don't think – Nobody really has a Daniel Jones jersey except for the guys that bought it during his rookie year when you know when they um they saw <laughs> right. all the flashes. I I certainly but but that also goes for the entire team. I've only gotten a Blake Martinez jersey and not a do might be off the team in a year or two because of the ACL. I've gotten a Kenny Galladay jersey because I thought that would have been our number one guy, but he's yeah. been injured up until now. 
It's just in general with current players of this team because of the position we've been in over the past five years. I wouldn't recommend anybody get a jersey until we. There's just no identity stable. of this team. There's yeah, just no identity. And, and when I was going to say, a lot of say, the players are just kind of inconsistent. It's not just Daniel Jones. Uh, a lot of the players on this roster you expect to be, you know, um, high end number one type caliber players have really been letting this team down, starting at the running Bradbury. back position, down to the wide receivers, to the cornerbacks, to the safeties. I mean, we had a slow start there, man. And mm-hmm. again, it, we're just in this dump again where we start off two and six again. And two and six, that's the, that was the best in five years. Yeah, and you know, that is such a theme. Three is good. That is such a theme of the Giants' season this year is the slow start. Every yeah. single game, it seems like, specifically with the offense, man, every single game it takes two or three drives. Two or three drives, and then we start to see a little something. Then yep. we start to get a little bit aggressive. Two or three drives, and then maybe we won't start off with the first play being a run up the gut. You know? Yeah, we're, and desperate. It just, we're desperate. It feels like every single game is a slow start. The whole year's been that way. It's frustrating. Yep. What I will say is multiple things can be true to the huge uh, me debate that went on with uh, Garrett and Jones just now. Everything that both of y'all said is true. Garrett adjusted during the, Ra- the Raiders game. I wouldn't call it innovation because I'd imply that he did something like new that we haven't seen before. But yeah. I would definitely call it adjustments. Because once he that's saw, a like, way to put it. Yeah, nobody, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. nobody could tell me that you saw Devontae Booker running for four yards and five yards. Like literally every single run. And, I, and in my reaction video, I was like, that was the best running game I've seen from the Giants since like Saquon's rookie year against the the Washington when he, where he was about to break. A, or was that against it the hurts Eagles? To he was say about that. to break like yep. um, a running back record for us. I was it like, hurts to was say the, it's been that long. But it, that was the best rushing game we've had in like three years. It was solid. Yeah, and it the was, Raiders came into that game. Rushing defense was ranked 28th. So yeah, they were. I don't a terrible know if that game plan defense. can work. You know, every game, but they're gonna have to find a way to adjust. I think that's the right word. It's not innovate. It's adjust for sure. Yeah, and yeah. Th- that that's what I was gonna say. Well, multiple things can be true. Jason Garrett adjusted there, and un- unfortunately, fortunately, whatever you want to call it, we're on a bye week now, so we don't have a ga- another game to judge to see. All right, is he gonna adjust again when he's put in that position? Because I yeah. feel like that was one of the very few times this year he has adjusted. Um, and the times he has adjusted, we've won. Carolina, I still think, in my opinion, was the best game plan that we had on offense. Cause in terms of how we protected Daniel Jones by getting him away from the pocket and stuff like yeah. that. Um, you know what's so, crazy about that is those two things kind of happened in the same stretch. You know, yeah. uh, rolling Daniel Jones out to his right a little bit more to create a little bit more space, knowing that the moving left that tackle pocket. position is an issue, and moving James Bradbury in the slot to play against these bigger tight ends. So, I mean, we, yeah. we got to give them some props at least that they're trying on both sides of the ball for sure. 100%. And, and so now what I'm looking for is, all right, are you going to do this when we come back week 11? And then it's going to be, I still need to see, all right, that game plan is not going to work all the time, Garrett. So let me see if you could, because we've seen him, yo. We've seen him do creative things. We've seen wildcat yeah. position this year for crying out loud. He yeah. has it. Like I was saying earlier, you look at what Jason Garrett has done the last time he was actually a play caller for a team, late twenty, um, late 2000s, early 2010s. He is not what we're seeing now, in my opinion. I think there's it's two different things, and that's why I'm always going to go back to Joe Judge. But at the end of the day, it's speculation, like we're saying. We don't know what it is. I really do want to put it on Judge, though, because I that's not Jason Garrett from when he was a play caller to me. Jason yeah. Garrett gets things done. Like, there's a reason as much as we, uh, I guess, dislike or, or whatever the case may be to our feelings to him because he was a Cowboys coach or whatever. But when he was the play caller, they were like one of the best offenses in the entire league, no matter old school philosophy or not. And then there was some else. Oh, yeah. In terms of multiple things can be true. So that could be true. And so can Daniel Jones showing a lot of flashes. And so can, yeah, I do sort of think that we're not giving him an opportunity to show what he can do. 
I, I think we're not giving an opportunity to a couple of guys there. I mean, I, in my opinion, I would give a guy like, for example, John Ross, a couple more opportunities a game. Who yeah. the main thing we were saying about him is, all right, yo, you got to fix your catching problem. That's your main problem. Which you stay healthy. Which he's been for the most part healthy, right? Correct me if I'm wrong. Has he missed he just really came much in time? Banged up um, the first yeah. couple games. He was on the IR for the first yeah. three weeks. And Certainly not then, as bad as the rest of our yeah, players. Yeah, like compared to the rest of the receiving crew, he's been pretty healthy. And yeah, since then he's been in every game. But he also fixed like every time we throw to John Ross, he comes out with the ball. Every yeah. time, whether it's deep or it's not deep, he comes That's out with the ball. There, That's there's guys on this roster w that we just need to utilize more, whether it's by forcing the opportunity to them, which would be in Daniel Jones's case as the quarterback, if you see him get the ball to him, or if it's in Jason Garrett's uh, case by kind of scripting it or creating it for them. And yeah. I think both of them can do that. It's just not happening. And I'll tell you what, you, you brought up two guys that I'd like to talk about for a minute, John Ross and Devontae Booker. And the thing about those two guys, because they are completely different, the one thing they have in common that I just were over an hour, that I fucking love in a player, that I, like, when I'm looking at draft prospects, when I'm looking at guys in free agency, the, one of the things that I want to see in a guy the Giants are going to bring in is that that dude's hungry. And John Ross and Devontae Booker are hungry. They got something to prove, man. Devontae Booker has been playing this year like he heard all the Giants fans talking crap about his contract. John Ross has been playing this year like he wants to prove he can be that guy. He wants to prove he's not a draft bust. He wants to prove something. And I just love that in a player. And I will take a minute here because I don't get them very often to savor this dub on a take that I had during the offseason. A lot of people were trashing on the Devontae Booker contract. I thought it was a good signing just because Devontae Booker may not be uh, a 4 3 40 runner. He may not be a home run hitter like Saquon Barkley, but what he is is the exact thing that we liked when Joe Judge was talking in his intro press conference. He is a blue collar, tough running back, and that's what I love in my, in my tailback. He's going to go down. He's going to put his shoulder pads down. He's going to get behind and drive. He's going to fight for those dirty yards, which is really what I want in a running back because that's what I need you for. In that third and two, that second and three, I need you to put your pads down and muscle your way through some guys that are bigger than you are. That's what I need. I need a guy that's going to bounce off a tackle. I need a guy that's not going to be delicate, that's going to do the hard work, that's going to just absolutely pound the rock. That's what I want in a running back, and that's what Devontae Booker has shown. Yeah, um, obviously got Miz in the chat. He thinks that uh, Giants going to get to, I think, eight wins. And uh, obviously, I'm not going to criticize the fans hopeful, but we'll see what happens. Also, he said we need Thomas back for creativity, which is, yeah, but also what happened with uh, Dante Pettis throwing Daniel Jones the football. I mean, hmm. uh, Matt Parrott was the left tackle that game. I that's a mean point Odell Beckham Jones, by the way. Yeah. Just got to oh, correct yes. that. And I, I don't yeah. like those kind of creative plays. I, I'll keep it real with you on that. <laughs> yeah, one, I know what you're saying. Daniel Jones island? down the field trying to catch the ball one handed, getting smacked in the helmet. It, you know, they got to find a way to keep him healthy. Especially after week five. Shots. Yeah. Especially after week five when we and, saw this man couldn't walk. Like, come and on. For for the love of God, I love the option plays. It's something we need to do with, with having a quarterback with speed. you got to utilize that. But for the love of God, stop putting Daniel Jones between the tackles. Please yeah. stop. Please. They Please. Gotta stop. It's so bad. Like, I see him run, like, in the, the, the B gap between the guard and the tackle, and I see linebackers in the box, and I cringe because I'm like, this is not going to end well. It's just not yeah. good. Daniel Jones is tough. Don't get me wrong. 
He is tougher than a $2 steak. But at the same time, he is skinny. He may not be as skinny as he was rookie year, but we're talking about linebackers, man. We're talking about guys that get paid to take people's yep. heads off. Yep. I, I don't want to see my quarterback, the most important position on the field, the most easily injured position on the field besides special teams. I don't want to see him in the box with those monsters. I don't want that. I want him on the outside where he can run past him and wave as he goes by. That's what I want to see Daniel Jones in the running game. Stop putting him between the tackles, please. Yeah, it's crazy. And I think that they could find ways to get creative by keeping a tight end on the left side. You know, like, you don't have to. There's ways to get creative with keeping more guys in the box to help with the, uh, you know, the troubles we're having on the line. But they they seem to not do that much. Um, but rolling down Jones right, I definitely like I that, that. And I totally agree with Nate on that. They got to stop running him between the tackles because he's going to get hurt. It's happened every, every season he's been hurt. I mean, that was his injury in the Bengals game. He ran up the gut. He got rolled up on by something like a 250-pounder. And he was out for a few weeks, and he came back, and he wasn't 100%, and he got hurt again. Yeah. And that's what we're looking at here. What was the 2019 injury? I can't remember what the 2019 injury was, but I do uh, remember when I came back against the Dolphins. Yeah, yeah I know what you're talking about. only out for two games that time. Yeah. yeah. I can't remember. It was only two games. Was it also yeah. a leg injury or no? I think, I think yeah, it was a leg injury. It was injury. body, definitely. Yeah, yeah, it was leg, I think. Yeah. But the, yeah. the point here being we're getting creative, but half of the time it's not – great creativity yeah, and one working. thing that one thing i want to take a minute to talk about because oh my god this bothers me is when we have Kadarius tony in the wildcat which is really good because he is the ideal wildcat quarterback in that sense because he can throw the ball and he can get to the outside on a straight up sweep please stop running read option with Kadarius tony no one thinks that he's going to give the ball to Devonte booker <laughs> everyone knows the defensive end, the Reed defender, is not confused. He sees Kadarius yep. Tony and Devontae Booker at mesh point and goes, hmm, let's see. The guy averaging 2.7 a carry that our defensive line is getting to before he gets the ball or the receiver who's responsible for 90% of their chunk plays. Who should I take? And it's not even a decision. Please stop. Please, Jason, I know you mean well. I know you do. Please stop. And those those uh Tony Wildcats haven't even worked out most of the time. No, too. they yeah. haven't. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, once it was once it was in one Dallas. Time. They were short at the goal line. Uh, one thing I'll say more before we get to our final philosophical topic, which actually lands on the Patriot side of the ball as well. It's a very uh, philosophical stream tonight. Yes, I like uh, Evan Spicer says he like he, he likes Elijah Penny. He could do different things out of the backfield. I like Eli Penny, but at the same time, he should we're not be using the shotgun. He shouldn't well, be if Eli Penny shot. should not be a number two running back, which is what he is 1, right now. 1,000% should not be the number it's two so running It's so bad. Yeah. Especially when we just right drafted now. Gary Brightwell, man. It's, it's yeah. like we didn't draft him. Like, Gary, I don't see this man ever. Like, the like other thing Why is, in the world did we draft him? That's a waste of a pick. I literally went yeah. over a video. Um, one of my vids today was literally just looking at rookies that are performing really well in the NFL. Yeah. You know, we've <laughs> talked about a lot. Trey Smith went in the sixth round, all right? There's so many other dudes we could have gotten with that sixth-round pick. And it's not even yeah. a shot to Brightwell because I feel like Brightwell right, could yeah. do something good. We're just not I seeing agree. him. Yeah, and I'm, I'm right there with you. Like, I see it the exact same way as I don't necessarily even see it as a waste of a pick because right now we're in a position where we probably should be saying, thank God we drafted Gary Brightwell because Saquon Barkley went down. And a lot of times in the middle of games, Devontae Booker just didn't get it done. He's, he's doing his best, but he's not hitting the hole. We, we should be in a moment where we're saying, oh, thank God we have another running back 
who's a rookie yeah. who can be a change of you know pace guy. Not saying that, and like, no, no, wait, wait, hold on. Let me just finish what I'm saying here. With with Eli Penny though, every time he comes out and shotgun as the tailback, and we give it to him on the most vanilla inside zone run ever that hasn't even been working with our starting tailback, I just think, man, there is no way that Gary Brightwell is this bad. There's no chance. There is no way he's so bad that Eli Penny has replaced him on the halfback depth chart. I don't believe it. That's one of the reasons I would disagree with the sentiment. Like, the fact that we're not seeing him just makes me say more and more it's a waste of a pick. Because we're gonna we see Colin Gillespie before we see him. We've got yeah, two right. fullbacks. We got to be one of, if not the only team with two fullbacks. We see our second Shanahan fullback definitely has in, in Colin Gillespie more than we see Gary Brightwell. Yeah, yeah, I mean, that's I senseless. I've been talking about the number two running back position all year long. That that's another one that they neglected to address before the year started. You know, they didn't think about what if Saquon Barkley comes back and he's not the same guy and the knee is kind of bothering him. In yeah. return, we get another injury on a play where Saquon Barkley's just lollygagging. And now you're looking at Eli Penny being your second running back when traditionally he's supposed to be a fullback. They should have went out there, got somebody who's dynamic. I'm they all about the, the two different styles of running. I liked Clement too, but I thought that he um was a little bit too much like what Saquon does well. You know, I, I'd like the power pairing with Saquon Barkley when I he's I like the healthy. thunder and lightning combo. Yeah, you know, and you, there's a lot of teams that are utilizing that right now, man, running back by committee. Even the Detroit Lions are doing it well with Williams and Swift over there. The Broncos are doing it well with um, Williams and uh, uh, Melvin Gordon. Gordon over there. Sean so, Payton's I mean, been doing it for decades. It. Oh, and I love the pickup of bringing Mark Ingram back for that because I think that's what makes Kamara that much more deadly. And I've, I've, I've talked about using Saquon Barkley like Kamara way too yeah, much, yeah. but people know that. That's that, I've been talking about that for a very long time. Like We got to use Saquon Barkley where he's special, and we yeah. kind of botched that pick a little bit. It's starting to feel like Reggie Bush a little bit. And yeah. we're talking about this, and this goes back to the general manager here. This goes back to the, the idea of just sort of doing – like the process needs to be fixed here because we're ta- we sort of came into the offseason right, with a bunch of needs, a bunch of boxes to check. And with those boxes, there was the big idea of, oh, we got our player, and then there's a little bit of subtext, right? And if you don't read the subtext, you're screwed. With backup running back, we signed our backup running back. We got Devontae Booker, and it was everything he should have been. He's the opposite of Saquon. He's that tough yardage guy, and it was great. And I love that signing. A lot of Giants fans hated it, whatever. I love that signing. It was good. And then they didn't read the subtext. The subtext was your starting running back is incredibly injury prone and is coming into the season on an ACL that isn't fully healed. You need a backup plan. And they kind of just didn't do it. And that's like, that's what this is. That's what this whole problem is. It's the little things, you know, that's what's screwing us right now. Yeah. You could say that about left guard as well. You could say that about left tackle. You could say that about middle linebacker, (laughs) you know, you middle linebackers, a a big one, even strong safety. I, I, you know, it's really interesting because wide receiver and secondary were the two places on this roster. I felt like, man, we got a lot of guys. Like we have yeah. a lot mm-hmm. of wide receivers coming into the year. We got a lot of DBs and you know, you just can never account for the kind of injuries that you might see. I mean, yeah. the, the injuries this season are very, very reminiscent of the 2017 giant season where we lost Brandon Marshall. Oh yeah. I, I was saying that. Like he, he's been talking about this. Yeah. 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 Uh, and then now we're the first half of this season so far. So the first five weeks felt like 2017 and the past five feel like 2020. Yeah. It's ridiculous. Yeah, like we're finally getting it together a little bit. Yeah, I definitely agree. So next, we're going to talk about how the Giants, and I hate this. This is such a media narrative um, that I've hated ever since Joe Judges came here. But the difference between this, us discussing it, and 
Sports radio shows is sports radio shows is gonna be a lot of empty noise. Here we're gonna talk about both philosophies, how they're alike, and stuff like that. So I want to go into this. So I'm gonna start a little bit with Dave Gettleman's tenure, even though necessarily it's mostly Joe Judge and Bill Belichick. So you take a look at what the Giants have been doing on defense specifically, pass rush, how they, which guys have they gotten? This bothers and, me. Yeah. This, and this, like, guys, this is one thing that gets under my skin, man. Keep going, though. <laughs> Keep going. And which guys have they gotten the secondary? So you take a look. To the, and some of these guys might be special teams guys, whatever, but they've played over the years some roles in the Giants because of the lack of depth. So you take a look at 2018, uh, Curtis Riley and Michael Thomas. Obviously, Curtis, also B.W. Webb as well. But once again, depth guys pushing in those roles because of injuries and trades. 2018, a bunch of cast-offs, including a draft pick. Kareem Martin, Connor Barwin, Josh Moore, Mario Edwards Jr., and Lorenzo Carter. You look at, take a look at 2019, where they totally just look like they could have fixed the secondary, but also in a bunch of other problems as well. DeAndre Baker, Julian Love, Corey Ballantyne traded for Jabril Peppers. They got Antoine Bethea. Just to uh, Eli Rax in the chat. Um. So you take a look at 2019 for the pass rushing side. O'Shane Zimenez, Marcus Golden trading for Leonard Williams. Now you move into the Bill Belichick, more philosophy type things. You'll see an uprise in how they try to get players in the secondary, but a shrink of how many players they try to get as a pa- for the pass rush. 2020, yeah. James Bradbury, Xavier McKinney, Logan Ryan, Darnay Holmes plus Ryan Lewis and Isaac Yadam as depth pieces. Take Yo, a look at 2000... that's a name I haven't heard in a while. Ryan Lewis? Yeah, oh it's been a minute. God. It's been a minute. 2020, Kyler Fackrell, uh, Carter Coughlin, and Nico Lalos. Take a look at Nico 2000... Lalos. What a legend. Yeah. <laughs> he stole the practice squad, surprisingly. 2021. Uh, I don't know where. This... Okay, here we are. So let's take a look at 2021. Adoree Jackson, Aaron Robinson, Radarius Williams in a supposedly stacked secondary, two draft picks on secondary, and neither of them have worked out so far. I'll give a couple of years, though. 2021, Aziz Ojolari, Ellerson Smith, minus Dalvin Thomason, who played a factor. Same with Kyler Fackrell, added Quincy Roche. Now let's take a look at the Patriots side of things. Start with 2018, the same timeline. They drafted Duke Dawson. They drafted Keon Crossan. They got, got Jason McCourty. <laughs> they, they got J.C. Jackson. 2018, they really didn't spend much on the pass rush. That was the final year of Trey Flowers. 2019, they drafted Joan Williams and Ken Webster. Obviously, some of those picks didn't work out. 2019, they drafted Chase Winovich, who's only playing so many of the snaps, which it's not even funny, honestly, in my opinion. 2020, they drafted Kyle Duger, which was, I think, a couple picks after the Xavier McKinney pick or before. 2020, they start upping it a little bit with the pass rush. Josh Uche and Arfrey Jennings. 2021, Josh Bledsoe and uh, traded for Sean Wade. And then they Here finally... Here comes Matt Judon. Matt Judon and Ronnie Perkins out of Oklahoma. So... That's nasty. Yeah. You take a look at the Patriots now. I didn't necessarily track the Giants in terms of this stat. If you look at 2015 to 2018 for the Patriots, obviously in there was Trey Flowers, Chandler Jones, the pass rushers. They were second in sacks in 2015, 17th and 16, uh, eighth in 2017, 30th, almost next to the Giants in 2018 with the fi- the final year of Trey Flowers. And then right now they rank 14th, but last year they ranked 27th. 
in sacks. Now, obviously, once again, pressures and all that stuff that you know can be interpreted as well. But we all know as Giant fans, whether it's new philosophy or old philosophy, getting to the quarterback is key. And this regime has really done a by regime you're job. referring to judge, right? Or like the judge, not Just including Shermer? Everybody. Okay. Even though Gettleman's been here for longer and he really hasn't prioritized that. Because obviously, once again, a lot of people brought up in 2019 how we didn't go after Preston Smith, though we were rebuilding. But the thing is, though, when was the last time the Giants spent a first-round draft pick or a second-round draft pick other, other than Aziz on pass rush? We all know, once again, JPP. new philosophy, old philosophy, that's getting to the yeah. quarterback. Strahan, Osio Minora, Kiwanuka, whatever. And the thing is with that as well, the, the cornerbacks were not pro bowlers. Jason Seahorn, I don't think he was ever a pro bowler. Same thing with uh, Corey Webster, Aaron Ross, uh, Terrell Thomas. Those weren't pro bowlers. They were average corners, slightly above average. So you take a look at these philosophies, and I think the Giants, they're not succeeding here. And you take a look at the first half of the season. Second half of the season, obviously, the defense is doing great, whatever. So you take a look at the first half of the season, maybe the first four to five games. The pass rush was very was exposed. It was exposed because you had guys, you know, they blitzed a lot. They didn't blitz a lot, but once again, nobody was getting to the quarterback, and it, it's just a mismanagement of the pass rush. And I just don't mm-hmm. understand. You know, that's where uh, Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge should have stuck with the Giants' way and said, "Hey, we got to go get some pass rushers in here," and. Aziz Ojolari is not a number one. Ellerson Smith and all the other guys, they're not number one pass rushers. That's what the Giants need to do next year. But even so that a guy who came up with that philosophy of building from the back to the front and Bill Belichick, even he got mad on. So I think the Giants need to wake up in that aspect. And I want to get all your thoughts on this. You guys will yeah. probably agree, but I just want to get some extended thoughts starting with authentic as usual. Okay. Fine. Um, I mean – Short and sweet for me here. I, I just think it's it first starts with the scouting department, okay? It's about bringing in the right players. That's the first thing where in those middle to late rounds, somebody was saying this in the chat already too, we're just missing. We're not getting those right guys. But I also think you got to put some emphasis on the coaching as well too. You could compare it to the situation here in Washington with the Washington football team. They got four first rounders on that defensive line right now, and their defense is looking like one of the worst defenses in the NFL. Now, we can't sit here and blame that on the talent. We got to blame that on the coaches for putting the players in the right position. So I think with this, the beginning of this season, it was a big surprise to see Patrick Graham not having average players in position to get more sacks or get more pressures on the quarterback and also just assessing the guys that you have. I mean, you, we got pretty much two young guys out here, one of them a rookie, stepping in, looking better than the guys that have been here for a couple of years already in Zimenez and Lorenzo Carter. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I think it's also got to do with bringing in too many players that are of the similar type and a similar build. Like, Zimenez and Carter are very much the same, and this isn't the first time Dave Gettleman has done this. You can look at the secondary when you look at Logan Ryan and Jabril Peppers. They're very similar. And now Julian Love kind of falls in that background kind of backup vibe of the same style of player. Offensively, the Giants have missed like that too. When you brought in Golden Tate, 
We already had a Golden Tate and Sterling Shepard. You go out in the draft, you bring in a guy like Kadarius Toney. Kadarius Toney is a is a souped-up version of Sterling Shepard. So now you're just dealing with a bunch of players that are in the same position, but they're all very similar. And you you got to have different styles, I feel like, to be effective on both sides of the ball. So I, I got to put that mostly on the GM, mostly on the front office and the scouting department. And then as far as player development, I got to put that on the coaches. Yeah, uh, I 100% agree with the idea that we're, we're bringing in players that don't really fit, don't make sense, don't fill specific needs. Uh, the Golden Tate is a perfect example, 110%. Uh, also agree with O'Shane Zimenez and Lorenzo Carter. For me, on that one, it's not even that they're the same archetype of pass rusher. It's that they both kind of just suck. They're both speed rushers with no speed, which is not going to work very well. Yeah. So uh, in terms of the pass rush, and this relates also to the offensive line, I know Kush has been on a stream with me when we've talked about this. For those that haven't, this is one thing that just bothers me deep. This is one of those things about this Giants organization that pisses me off in a way that very few things do. Specifically because the media is is a large part of why I'm so pissed off about this. Because the perception of this is so goddamn backwards. Every single season, we see people in the offseason saying, well, the Giants have addressed the offensive line perennially every year, and we'll see if they can finally get it right this year. And meanwhile, in the five, six years since Eric Flowers, a name we all hate to hear, we've drafted two players for the offensive line in the first two rounds, them being Andrew Thomas in the first and Will Hernandez in the second, who, may I just say, have been fine examples of that working out well. Glory, hallelujah, what a concept. (laughs) And then the one single free agent in the offensive line market we've thrown money at was Nate goddamn Solder. This bothers me. And every year in the offseason, consistently, you can set your goddamn watch. These reporters come out of the woodwork for their mock drafts, and they say, well, the Giants address the offensive line every year, and either it's A, we'll see if they can finally get it right this time, they're going to draft XYZ player for the offensive line out of bumblefuck nowhere in the middle of the USA, or B, they've addressed it every year, let's see if they can give their players time to develop, I'll have them draft someone else. Meanwhile, How can you expect these players you're drafting in the third, fourth, fifth round to be consistent starting linemen? That is just a losing philosophy. I understand that you need to be able to hit on those mid-round picks, but how can you depend on that? And it's the same thing with the edge rushers, right? Aziz Ojolari was a second rounder that was really a first rounder. There was no reason for him to drop that far. And outside of him, where's the edge rushers? We haven't drafted him in the first, second round. Not a single one since Gettleman's been here. What were the first two things he says he was going to address on this Giants team? It was offensive line. It was edge rushers. And that's another reason that this just burns me inside is because he flat out lied. That is just a straight lie, man. A lot of times there's coach speak. There's GM speak. There's front office speak. When they're kind of just trying to misdirect, there's all that crap. That's just bullshit. Don't give me that crap, Gettleman. <laughs> you and I both know 
You have done absolutely nothing for the two biggest weaknesses over the last however many years. You can make an argument for receiver. You can make an argument for a few other things. I, I wouldn't even make an it's, argument for yeah. receiver because you can't forget, before Kadarius Tony got drafted, the only wide receiver to Slayton. be drafted was Darius right. Slayton. Right. So but for me, how are you missing in all these departments? Exactly. We know it's the O line. We know it's the D line. Mm. We know it's the wide receiver room. And you it went out there in, in a lot of people's eyes and reached on the quarterback. Yep. You and know, like you brought in a young safety in a crowded safety room when you drafted Xavier mm-hmm. McKinney, which I like to pick now. It's looking fantastic, especially sure. after last week. But at the same time, we had a lot of people in that secondary. So it's like, what sure. are you hitting on when it comes to the draft? Exactly. And this is just, this is a philosophy that I don't understand, man. Every single season, it seems like there's someone on the board, right? Whether it's the first, second, or third round, there's always someone. It was Trey Smith this year. It was a bunch of receivers last year. It was Trey Smith and um, dude out of uh, is it Alabama or Georgia? J- big gigantic mountain. Oh man. yeah, uh, Cleveland. Yeah. yeah, yeah, Ben Cleveland. Who is another? Who is another beast that I loved? Who and guess we where Aaron he Robinson went? Instead, went to the Ravens because of course <laughs> they did. Because the Ravens always like this is it's not rocket science. It's common sense. It is not rocket science, gentlemen. Just come on, man. Do it for me, please. Do it for the people. Do it for the culture. Yeah, like we, we uh, need you, it, Dave. You're bringing up stuff that we've really like talked about so much over the past. I know, week, I know. Which, which you reference, right? Like Sunday, Monday, and even Tuesday. I think we've been on streams together. Mm-hmm. And so, because you brought the draft, yeah, Aziz. You look at the edge. The reason he's our best edge rusher is because we spent the most amount of capital on him. Capital on him. Draft capital. You look at free agency money wise. The one guy we gave money to that paid off, we traded the next season because he couldn't cover. And Marcus Golden is already close to nine sacks in Arizona. And, Stop. and we're not even close got, to You got to know how to put your players in the right position. Marcus, Marcus Golden is a perfect example of that. Marcus Golden was playing 30% snaps for us at the beginning of the 2020 season. Made no sense. Yep. Now, that is also on Patrick Graham. And I, and I don't understand why in the world. If, I don't care he can't cover Graham. He could get to the quarterback bed that anybody else on the team could have right. gotten to the quarterback. And this you got conversation him out there makes me want to punch a wall. O'Shane, playing behind <laughs> playing behind Lorenzo, and he's way better than them. And you see, you say that the reason he's gone, or the reason the reason we all kind of got from it is that he couldn't cover. But you still have O'Shane Zimenez on the roster, who yeah. who is not even one tenth of the player that Marcus Golden is. God. Marcus Golden. Has and and I think I might have said this on a stream as well. Whether it was with Nate or whether it was with on the call-in show earlier this week, he's one of the best comeback stories in the NFL that doesn't get talked about because he had 13 or 14 sacks his sophomore year, ACL tear, came back with the Giants 10 sacks. Now it's the Giants' fault that he didn't get playing time, so he only had about five in last year. But now he's well on pace to going back to that 15 sack a year person, which is crazy to think about. There's not that many people in the NFL that could get 15 sacks, man. And yeah. Marcus Golden is one of them. And we we traded him because he couldn't cover for That's nothing. To think, yeah, for a sixth round pick, I think we got or bag a of fifth? chips. Rid- ridiculously, and a half eaten ham sandwich. Think about that for a second. If we had Marcus Golden and Aziz Ojolari as our edges, I don't think this defense struggles at the beginning of the year because we could actually get to the quarterback on some type of basis, and the pass rush is there. Because in my opinion, this defense, it was when the pass rush started to go that we start to see things click. And yes, it was adjustments as well. But if we get to the quarterback a bit more consistently at the beginning of the year, we're in a better position, in yeah. my opinion. One and, and then two, football for real, getting to and, the quarterback. Exactly. And then two, um, we didn't even really target guys. I'm gonna focus on uh 20 and 21, the judge part, because it gets so confusing when I get to Shermer, because 
I think it was either Nate or you thing that brought up with Preston Smith, but then it was like, how could we how could we have targeted Preston Smith if we didn't necessarily have the, the cap space at that time or or you know if we're still in the rebuild? So let me focus on 20 and 21. There was guys to target in free agency. All right. Hassan Riddick is the biggest name out of the 2021 um offseason free agency that yeah. went for a bag of chips and is doing great things with Brian Burns over there. I would there say bag of chips, but it, he went for less than we could have paid him. He went he went for like less than $10 million, bro. One year as an edge rusher. Yes. As an edge rusher that had how <laughs> many sacks in 2020? A lot of them against us. <laughs> yeah, a lot of them he were against five us. against yeah, us like in four or five game, on us. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so Hassan, he had why why is pro football reference not the first thing to pop up for me, Google? So yeah, in 2020, he had 12 and a half. In 2021, much like Marcus Golden, he has eight sacks already. Mm. That's I don't care if you had most of them against us. That was a, a somebody you should have taken a shot yeah, on. I 100 percent agree. And um, like I said, his contract, if I bring that up real quick, is gonna be a quick search here, whether it's spot rack. And, or it's over the cap. He and signed a one-year, oh, $6 million sorry. deal, bro. $6 million. Yeah. And yeah. You, first off, you're right. That's incredibly cheap. Like, one of the things that that for that just bothers me is a lot of people, and a lot of very smart people, I, sh- I should say that, take nothing away from, because I am going to bring up one name, and he's an incredibly smart football mind, so please don't take this as anything. But Big Pass Sports Talk talks about this, and I think he was the one who said, yeah, but in that one year, that's you. You can't look at that one opportunity. For me, you can break everything down into one moment. You can you can take the last decade and break it down into a series of one moments. But Gettleman has been here for four going on five years. It is it is well past time to look at the body of work and say, okay, in four years you have had plenty of time to get a franchise edge rusher. Leonard Williams does not count. You have had plenty of time. To fix the offensive line and make it at least decent, which he has failed to do year in, year out. Yeah. And you have had plenty of time to to just to to give this team an identity. And it bothers me that we don't have one. We don't like w- ask any Giants fan, what's the identity of this team right now? Maybe last season you could have after that good first rookie year from Joe Judge, you could have said, Oh, it's tough, it's gritty, it's all that. Mm-hmm. I don't see that from this team this yeah. year. You know, this team doesn't have an identity. Look at the Chiefs. Right now, they're not in a great way, but we know what the Chiefs are on, like, as a real team. We know the Chiefs are electric. The Chiefs are one cut in a cloud of dust. The Chiefs are a burn you before you even realize a team. Look at the Ravens. The Ravens are a grind your bones to make their bread running offense and a stingy, aggressive defense. Look at the Rams. The Rams are exactly what we've been talking about. They are an all-in team that is going to beat you with talent and beat you with coaching. What are the Giants? Yeah. What What are the New York there's Giants? There's no identity. There's, there, there's no nothing identity. here. The Browns are a good example of identity as well. Sure. Nick Chubb. Sure. But, you know, that, that's on Gettleman. And it goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier about trying to build a perfect roster but not really trying to build the perfect team. Yeah, because that's you're looking so at well drafting said. a guy like Saquon Barkley, what what did you expect him to come in here and do? Just run between the tackles like he was Ezekiel Elliott or something like that? It, yeah. It's just not even a realistic approach for a guy where you can just see that he's a home run hitter. I mean, it's, it's blatantly yeah. obvious. So you know the identity can't be Saquon Barkley. Your quarterback has issues holding on to the ball. He can make plays here and there. He can make just about every throw on the field. 
mm-hmm. but he can't be the identity of this team without the weapons. You neglect the weapons until just this past year, and it's almost like instant karma for you. you you've neglected the weapons so long that now they just get hurt out of nowhere, and it's just like instant karma for Dave Gettleman. You waited too long to bring in the real weapons. You signed a guy like Golden Tate and thought that that was going to be supplemental for Odell Beckham in this offense. That's, that's just not realistic. Yeah. And they've just failed countless, countless times in the draft. And, and I always tell people the first rounds, we do mock drafts and stuff on YouTube. It's not that difficult to go out there and get a decent first round, second round draft pick. Third round, fourth round, fifth round, that's where you really got to find those guys that are coming. Yeah. And and that's if they're not going to be immediate impact players, then you have to find a way to develop them. But most importantly, if they're not going to be the impact players that are going to get on the field right away, you got to spend the money proper to bring in those players that are going to be the impact players instead of relying on these guys that are supposed to be third stringers. And by the way, uh, one of these days I will get around to it. It's on my uh, on my to-do list, that perpetual list of things in my head that never gets done. One of these days in my in my little space here, I'll have a, a basket next to me with little pieces of paper, and that basket's going to be labeled authentic quotes that I can just <laughs> reach into and grab whenever I need them. And I, <laughs> I think you're saying it just so perfectly. It's it's exactly on the money. Building a roster but not building a team. I mean, you, we, we, t- we listed all those examples. You said the Browns, another great one. That's a team. That is a bunch of coaches and one singular unit all working to achieve the same goal, whether it's a grinding rushing attack and a, a bend-don't-break defense or an explosive passing attack. Whatever it is, that's one goal being achieved by a bunch of guys. The Giants are 22 blue jerseys and some guys with headsets. Yeah, That's what the Giants now, is right quick, now. Quick question for you all real quick, right? Because... I also feel like the coach can be the identity as well, kind of like what you were saying about what we thought about Joe Judge's philosophy, going back to philosophy. When you look at the 49ers, what's the identity? Right now, it seems like that team's a little lost, but I'll say this. The 49ers are two different teams in my mind. The 49ers are, A, the NFC Championship team that made it to the Super Bowl and lost to Patrick Mahomes in one of the best Super Bowls we've had in a while, and B... What we're seeing now where it's just sort of the fuse isn't lighting, you know? So I'll say it's it's tough to call them really a team with an identity when what their identity is is a failure to launch. But when they are on, their identity is boot play action off an elite zone run scheme and a defense that has enough talent to win without an elite scheme. That's what the 49ers' identity is. Right now they're just – the fuse is damp, man. I was and, about and to that, say their identity is their you. running backs, I was going to say. Exactly. You know, Shanahan finds a way to run the ball no matter what. And his pops was just like that when he was in Denver. It did not matter who the running back was. The philosophy was more important than the actual players within the system. And they did a great job of finding guys that might not have been the big names, but that were people that could produce on the field. And I think that's where the Giants are lacking. You know, I brought up the left tackle. Shanahan coaching tree, man. I mean, Shanahan's one. He's a guy. If he were to go out there on the market, that he, I would totally want to bring him in as a head coach, because it's, it's he not. he can get it done with those grinder players. Whereas when we've been looking at the Giants for the past, I'd say uh, three seasons, four seasons here, we there's always someone who has to come off the bench and do more than they should be asked to do, and they fail. They fall short of that, and we're seeing that more in this Joe Judge uh, philosophy that we're bringing to the table here in this past year and the year before this. You're just seeing players that look like they're not ready. People have been asking for Matt Pert. You see him get on the field, eye test. He's not ready. 
Yeah. Even a guy like Nate Solder, veteran in this league, he's getting paid some decent money. They move him to right tackle. You think, oh, man, he, he should be able to at least be a guy who could just, like, hold it down over there, make a de- do a decent job. Instead, he looks like the worst right tackle in football. You know, Will Hernandez, the, where's the development? Because Will Hernandez, to me, looked like a better player when he was a rookie. Does that, does that have to do with maybe Eli Manning and what he does pre-snap? I don't know, you know, but these players aren't getting it done. They don't seem like tier yeah. one caliber players. So in return, you got to have a coach and a coaching staff. I mean, we got about 100 of them. You would think yeah. that they got enough guys there to put our players in the right position, even if they aren't the big names or the right names or the right players. But bringing up Marcus Golden is a, is a great point of a guy who doesn't fit the philosophy. He's, yeah. he's never been known as a good run stopper, but he's a great pass rusher. So you got to find ways to use that guy. And the Giants looked at a guy like Marcus Golden and said, we don't got room for you here, which just speaks volumes to this team. And that's I got to think that's facts. exactly what they did with Hassan Riddick. And um, in terms of, yeah, I think it's 100% on the coaches as well. Like I was saying, multiple things can be through. And when, when you're with a bad team, it's almost on everybody. And shout out to Tudo, one of my viewers that always, always Love Tudo. is in my stream. And every time he super chats something, it, he says a couple of things over and over again. But he says because it's true. He was like, sometimes the chef, which is, you know, his analogy for the um, the head coach. He's like, sometimes the chef is the problem. He got the ingredients, but he doesn't know how to use the ingredients to make a good dish. And, uh, yeah, I agree with that. Development of players, Fact. which is also on another staff, like how I was talking about the scouting room earlier. Our training staff is trash. Just like um, our training and medical staff, which I think we could all agree is trash, but so is the training one because we've seen zero development from most of our players that we brought in young or, you know, guys that we've tried to say, all right, we need you to do something a little bit different. That's on training staff as well. They're not they're not training these players correctly or they're not giving them the correct drills or something. We're not seeing O'Shane Zimenez take even a single step forward. He's been the same player since he was drafted. Will Hernandez has yeah. regressed, as you mentioned. Um, Lorenzo Carter... I do think the Achilles injury has a lot to do with it. He looked like he was going to be promising. But even then, right, take out the Achilles injury. The man took so long to progress. It was it was ridiculous. Um, We were really waiting for him every single year, it seemed like. Mm-hmm. Um, Evan Ingram, a guy we, at least I, love to rag on. Evan Ingram has been the same player since his rookie year. Do I we have, love I to rag on him, though, or do we do it just because we have to? You do it because you have to, for sure, because, I mean, he has been slumming. But if you look at him going into this season, another major factor with him was he was banged up early in the year, too. Mm-hmm. Finally gets out there. He's kind of in his debut when the Giants are already two to three games down the line now. You get the drop pass, you get a fumble, and you're like, oh, here we go again. But since then, I will say this, Evan Ingram has looked a lot better since that fumble and since that um, drop pass that he had in his debut. I love the touchdown grab that he had. But I, I do feel you. I mean, I think the coaches aren't getting – they're not maximizing the potential out of these players right now. And Give me on, a different training staff, man. Yeah, and but with like that, – that speaks to something that I've been saying for a while, which is my idea of, of coaching, which, again, is one of those big, broad terms that we never really get specific with. But to me – a good coach and a good coaching staff comes down to two things. It comes down to the leadership aspect, which it seems like Joe Judge at least understands, whether it's authentic, no pun intended, or whether it's <laughs> a con. It seems like we at least have that in some capacity because it seems like the players bought in. But the other side of it is that you have to have the X's and O's. You have to have a coach that just is more than just a leader, is a tactician a coach that knows how to play the the 90-mile-an-hour chess that is football, you know? Yeah. And for me, we just haven't shown that we have that with Joe Judge. I think the closest thing we have to it is Patrick Graham, and he's been frustratingly inconsistent on that front. Yeah. 
so for me have. and i think that yeah that's to speak to the head coach yeah and and with that accountability thing it's sort of the we're looking for this best case scenario man every time we we talk about what this team could be if we oh. just did this we could be this yeah. if jason garrett would just do this we could be this i'm gonna i'm gonna trust authentic here to be my soundbite can you give me your quote about if please Oh, if if was a fifth, we'd all be drunk. 1, exactly. <laughs> and that's that's exactly <laughs> we what we're talking about. We can't rely on hope like that. We really can't. And, and one of the biggest problems with the Giants, we, like, cannot make a mistake during a game. You know, Ooh. we were talking about the red zone earlier, right? And a lot of teams, I, I've done a lot of deep diving into red zone numbers this season, right? Yeah. There's two ways to score. You either got to be very efficient when you get down there on the limited attempts that you have, or you got to do what the Buffalo Bills and the Dallas Cowboys are doing and maximizing your amount of attempts in the red zone per game. And yeah. teams like that are in the four and five and six range per game. And teams like the Giants, we're trying to get two and three and trying to you know hit on every time we get down there. But in the long run, you got to maximize on these drives. Too many three and outs. We saw it in the Raiders game. We come out of the half right on the first drive. They go three and out. Early on in that game, we go three and out. I, I even got it. Um, I had some notes from the last show about how the drives went. And it was like, let me see. It's take me just one second to pull it up. But after the touchdown, right, it was like punt. Let me see if I got it here. Uh, it wasn't good, whatever it was. It was horrible. It was like punt, punt, field goal, punt, field goal, field goal, punt. Something like yeah. that. And, 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 like, and to think that we still got to win in that game is right. really ridiculous. You know? Exactly. But the coaches just got to find a way to get the players. They got to maximize the potential of the players. And I think it, it's it's happening slow now, but on the defense, you're starting to see it. Of bit. all the development we've talked about that has been terrible on the Giants right now, we can say that Xavier McKinney is probably the one exception to the rule right now. Yeah, absolutely. And with that, that, that we're talking about here, like, it's you brought up the excellent point. Alex was talking about this before with the idea of we can't make mistakes. We're living on the razor's edge, right? It shouldn't be that the that Daniel Jones throws like twenty for twenty seven for two touchdowns and we're up by a field goal at like late in the game and he throws one interception all of a sudden the game's over because that's right. what it feels like as soon as Daniel Jones makes a mistake it's over and like when we're, when we're playing early in these games like I can tell you it felt like this with the Rams maybe it's because the Rams are such a great team but when we went out. And on the first drive, shit was going sideways. Yeah. The first thought, the first thought in a healthy team would have been, oh man, that sucks. Now we gotta dig out of this hole. Let's see what we do next drive. With us God, no, wait, wait. with with us, the first thought is, okay, we're starting early today. Yeah. That's what yeah. it is for these guys. We're used to it. We're used exactly. to it. Exactly. That's a problem, yeah. man. Yeah, and those drives, it was punt, fumble, punt. Field goal, field goal, punt, field goal, and we end up winning the game. So, I mean, it's just like that. It's pitiful, but it did win the game. And I, I think these – you know, I don't want to make it seem like this is like a super easy job for the coaches. No, it's Th not. With this roster, with these injuries, with with the capabilities of the quarterback, with the lack of chemistry between the quarterback and the, and the wide receiver core, the inconsistencies of this wide receiver core, which I cannot, like, pinpoint what exactly it is, why Kadarius Toney can just completely go off in one game against the Cowboys, come back, and he gets no targets, and it's just not working. I don't understand it. So maybe it just needs more time, you know, but I don't think the Giants are going to get more time, and I don't think fans are patient enough to, to, to sit around and watch this coaching staff continue to fail. Yeah, agreed there. Um 
Rob says that Giants identity is letting their fans down. Yes, yeah, definitely. That hurt to read. <laughs> That's um, so painfully accurate. So I got about a, a few points before we start closing it out here. In terms of um, Nate, will probably know what I'm talking about because he shares the Yankee fandom with me. Oh no, this um, is going to go bad real fast. Yes. So <laughs> a, I'll uh, for for Nate, I'll say Aaron Hicks. Right. You okay. cannot. The, the one thing that the Giants have really not done a good job of is drafting over players. It took. Now, once again, it was obviously from a winning season supposed to be to a rebuilding season. It took two years to draft over Nate Solder. But then again, Andrew Thomas is Andrew Thomas. You know, it took how many years to finally draft a a premium number two edge rusher in the second round, not the first round, the second round. Yes, you can look at prospects and all these things. Um, So just drafting over and, and. the reason why we're saying these types of things is like, we got to get this guy. We got to get that guy. And the reason why we're clamoring for all these players, is like, you know, for example, LA got a, you know, Super Bowl team. Basically they also have the coaching giants really don't have the coaching. So you have to look for the most talent on the field and that's not even being maximized. You take a look at the Ravens, right? The defense. Yeah. They've had a shit ton of injuries this year. Uh, their secondary is banged up. Their pass rush is like full of scraps in my opinion, O'Shane Zimenez and Lorenzo Carter would succeed with Baltimore because Don Martindale knows how to maximize his players at their full potential and what they could be. That's one of the reasons if Joe Judge is fired, I would personally like Martindale. And just me personally, this is the thing for me, I'm not too keen on, oh, let's get a QB guru, right? Because that was Pat Shermer, that was Adam Gase, that was Matt Nagy. Oh, don't say Adam Gase's name. Don't don't put those two words in that (laughs) order. Don't say that. That was supposed to be Ben McAdoo, too. Ben McAdoo yeah. as well. So Which you know, I that, think they pulled the plug a little early on McAdoo. I'll keep it funky because he benched Eli. They were just like, nah, bro, you're, you're getting out of town. No, he went no. 11 and five. He deserves he to get fired for benching he, Eli. I would I would disagree with Nate there, but one thing I will say, they pulled the plug. I would say he is the only coach in the past three coaches we had that actually legitimately lost the locker room too. Towards he did the lose the locker room, but a lot of that yeah. had to do with the injuries that year. That's that 2017 mm-hmm. season. And also with McAdoo, though, let, let me clarify what I mean. I understood benching Eli because it just wasn't working and it was time to try and see if we could figure something out with Geno Smith. But yeah. he de- let, let me rephrase my statement. He deserves to get fired for benching Eli and ending the streak. That's yeah, what and, he and, you know, to he get did, fired He for. did give him the opportunity to start the first half, and Eli was like, nah, I'm not doing that. And I, I don't, I'm not mad at Eli for doing it that way. That's very classy. That's how you do it. Y'all not going to yoke me at the half. If you think you can win this game and you got a better opportunity to bring in a sure. bad quarterback, just bring him in. And that's what Eli Manning from, was, from man. But at the same time, Ben McAdoo, I'll always have a little extra piece of spiteful hatred in my heart for him for that one. That was, that was I'm, I'm kind of like that with Shermer because the McAdoo, it, the, the, his era was so short. It was like, bang, yeah. we're in the playoffs, boat trip. We're back the next season, game five, everyone gets knocked out, and we knew the season was over. You remember yeah. going into that season, people thought the Giants had the best wide receiver room in the NFL. The one thing they did that or didn't do that offseason, though, which this was even before I got into YouTube, just as a casual fan at that point, I was like, why didn't we address the O-line? And that was I the know, big part, too. I know. We didn't do anything that offseason to address the O-line. Yeah. Andrew Whitworth. And- don't yeah. stop yeah, with Andrew this. Alex, like, get Andrew Whitworth. We could have drafted Ramcheck. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> also, listen, man, Alex, I gotta say, you're you're hitting below the belt these last few minutes, man. <laughs> I am in Adam like Gase. the middle of Giants season. I'm trying to cope with this, and you're bringing up the Yankees. Why are you doing <laughs> this to me, man? This is uncool. Like that's so far in my rearview mirror right now. I've all but blacked that out in my mind. You, you don't gotta and do me like play. that, Alex. 
bar in the you, rear view mirror. Don't, oh, stop, man. You're <laughs> one awful. More thing one more thing I'd like to bring up. Uh, I, I know that Authentic was talking about the 49ers thing, and this was brought up about two years ago. And I want to get a general thought on one player, and that's Dexter Lawrence. But one guy or a couple of people back then brought up, well, you know, Dave Gettleman is out here drafting 300-plus, 330-pound defensive linemen. Meanwhile, Eric Armstead and DeForest Buckner, under 300, they could do both, stop the run, and rush the passer. So I want to get your guys' thoughts on that. Yeah, uh, I am one of the... I, I want to phrase this correctly. I'd say I am one of the bigger supporters of Dexter Lawrence because I think a lot of people... And I will say, I think authentic, you do this a little bit. I think you put on him some of the, like, I think you cast onto him the problems that you have with how he got here, which I admit was yeah, pretty a little bit, stupid. But I, I think he's done a good job. I mean, you know, yeah. imagine if we missed on that pick, I would really be going in. But anyway, <laughs> you know yeah. but for me, I do think Dexter Lawrence is one of the better, more solid and dependable players on the team, which hurts to say, considering the offsides penalty, but that's neither here nor there. For me, I really like Dexter Lawrence. My problem is less with the player and more with this with the philosophy, and that's the theme of the stream, isn't it? Uh, I think when you're when you're building this defensive line, Dave Gettleman, he said it himself. He loves the hog mollies. You're putting them on the wrong side of the ball, my friend. We, we have enough defensive linemen. If there's one thing we have had since Dave Gettleman got here. It's defensive linemen. We've had defensive linemen that could have come in and they've been rotating in for our starters and not really seen much of a difference. Austin Johnson, on every rep he's been in for the last two years, has looked pretty much the same as our starters. We yep. talked about um, BJ, who left now. We talked about that. And, like, mm -hmm. it's, it's just tough to look at all this capital and all this money and all this, this stuff that we're pumping into the defensive line and looking at the other side of the ball that's protecting our franchise quarterback, so to speak, and allowing these receivers to have a second and a half to get open. And we're thinking, hmm, can some of the, I'll, I'll use the, the technical football term here, can some of that ass mask go on the other side of the line, please? And then we're looking at what we need still back on the defensive line. What we need are the lighter, quicker guys that can bend around the edge. What we need are guys like Quincy Roche, who may not be... And I say this knowing that he's not exactly a premium pass rusher, um, but what he brings to the table, and I know me and Kush talked about this, is he is a guy who can, whether it's fancy, whether it's not, he can get around the corner. He's bendy, he's flexible, he can dip his shoulder and get around the corner on the tackle and just collapse the pocket. And that's something we haven't had in forever because we've been spending all this money and all these picks on the big, the hog mollies in the center of the line and not on the edges. So for me, I look at Dexter Lawrence, I see a great football player. I see a guy that I would love to keep around as long as we can. I do I do also see a just massive flaw in philosophy. So with Dexter Lawrence for me, my thing is I I was a fan to pick back then cuz Clemson was like the only team I watched that college football season so I got to see a lot of Dexter Lawrence snaps. Speaking of which, how about the Cleveland Farrell pick by the Raiders? Yeah, I know, right? <sighs> Same year. And and one of the reasons I love Dexter Lawrence at the time is because he's not your typical just 300-pound defensive lineman. Mm. First of all, he doesn't look like it because most of his 300 pounds aren't fat. It's muscle. He's built. That's why he, he even said Danny Shelton looks bigger than him, even though Danny Shelton's not that much heavier than him. It's because Danny Shelton is literally just a sack of fat. Dexter Lawrence is solid. He's more... 
the he's find in Danny Shelton. He's and a because planetary of that, mass. Yeah. <laughs> and because of that, he also doesn't move like a 300-pound defensive lineman. He does move a lot quicker and is a lot more agile than what his weight would initially tell you. And he gets a push on the pocket. However, with all that being said, I don't think you could find a Dexter Lawrence in the second round. But what you can find is a really good defensive tackle in rounds other than round one, which is where my only problems with the Dexter Lawrence pick comes in. Because my major thing was... We missed on a guy in Brian Burns that went right before him, but we also didn't take a guy in Montez Sweat that went right after him. Mm. And for me, I, I'm not, I wasn't concentrated on the O-line necessarily in the first round that year, but there was a lot of edge rushers we could have gotten. And once again, I think Dexter Lawrence is, I don't know if one of a kind would be the right phrase, but you're, you'd be hard-pressed to find somebody like him, but you're not hard-pressed to find good defensive tackles. Yeah. So we definitely should have went edge around that time. And that brings up an important conversation that it feels like as Giants fans and as fans of a fan base, uh, of a franchise rather, that's run by Dave Gettleman, feels like we have this conversation every other Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, every goddamn day of the week, because it's unavoidable. Positional value exists, Dave. I know you don't like to think about it. I know it's a four-letter phrase in the Gettleman household, but I promise it's a very real thing. It can hurt you. It has. And I, I have defended the Saquon Barkley pick. That is one that I will still make an argument for because it, it's tough to see past the injuries, but I think you have to. We, that's another topic for another time anyway, though. But positional value is something Dave Gettleman consistently struggles with. It's not good, man. We're picking defensive linemen that are going to play in the middle that high. We're letting edge rushers pass us by. We're picking reach players that we like, but we can definitely get later. It's just... It's no bueno. And those are the kind of things that, like, it may not be as big of a flaw as if you were missing on these guys, as if Dexter Lawrence had been a bust, or as if you had drafted an edge rusher that just didn't pan out at that pick. But it's still the kind of problem that's going to get you run out of town. Yeah, definitely agreed there. And I'm going to start to close it out. But one fun fact that I actually just thought of, it's a weird one. Is it going to be fun or is it going to be painful? Well, you can decide. Dave Gettleman and Joe Judge were both gym teachers at one time. <laughs> what? Oh, God. Dead serious. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, I'll give it to you. That was a fun fact. Yes. Very, very fun. So I'm going to close it out here. Authentic. Uh, I'm going to start with you, but I'm also a fan had a question earlier. I don't know if MH is still here, but he asks this. Uh, oh, take God. that in with your final thoughts. Question. Oh, yeah. I did see this one. Um. This is a tough one. I think I got to go Kush first. <laughs> yeah, for up. obvious reasons. I got to yeah. go Kush first. I'll probably have Nate down at the bottom. I don't yeah. see Nate dropping I'm no sh- bars sure. on him. I'm sure. <laughs> he said, I'm no, sure. I'm, I'm with you, man. I don't even, I, listen, I'll be straight. I don't even listen to rap music. I, I don't, <laughs> I don't go, understand so I it. I like wa- Watching you and these other people that are so talented and know so much about it and are so knowledgeable, it's like... It's like a baseball fan watching a professional soccer match. Like, I appreciate that there's something very impressive happening, but it's so far over my head, man. So, fun fact about that. It was about dropping bars or just rap in general, right? So, back in high school, I used to do it. Like, you know how, like, John Cena used to do it back in college for anybody who used to watch wrestling? Please, tell the story, Kush. That was me in high school, and me and my friend, um, my friend Abed, that a lot of people know, which is another fun fact, actually, he is a rapper. He is working on his career on the side. He's also the pro- origin of the banana video. Yeah, <laughs> I promote his yeah. music all the time. Like his um his second mixtape came out literally last week, a couple weeks ago. So if anybody in here 
Spotify, Apple Music, go out, go over there, check out Growing Pains Volume Two. I was a producer on the first volume, and I'm a producer on the second one oh, as well. So yeah, no, like so in terms of that, I, I guess you could technically call me a producer in a sense, right? Yeah, like I I had a hand in creating that on both of them. Basic Yo, listen, ergonomics. bro, word life, it's basic <laughs> economics. You know what's up? Um, I, I I told Kush this at one point. I need to sell a T-shirt to economics students that says "Nerd life, this is basic economics." Right? <laughs> Just sell that to college kids at Ivy League schools. But not back right, in high school, Winnebet was still like working on his thing as a casual, like as a casual hobby before he was like, maybe I should try and make something out of this. Like I, I used to be in in the stew, right, and with him occasionally. <laughs> uh, but that's that's like at least five, six years ago since I've actually written anything. Hey, that's what's up, though. Yeah. Any more uh, final thoughts off? I think before I go to Nate and Hub. Um, nah, no final thoughts, man. But if y'all want to check me out, man, I do uh podcast or streaming about four days a week on my channel. It's uh authentic the way I spell it there, uh, and a beard. My homie's a uh, Washington football team fan, and I live in Washington, D.C., so it definitely is a different approach uh, from the most of the New York media. Um, But, yeah, definitely check us out. We got shows on Monday, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sunday morning. Yeah. Nate? Uh, so, first off, before I say anything about myself, I will – repeat what he just said definitely do go check out that show in my opinion in sort of the the sports giants football whatever content creating game they are without doubt one of the best produced one of the like the highest quality streams like their sound is outstanding the the stuff they got going on in the stream the intros outros is phenomenal so go check them out i'm sure if you're in this stream you have but i'll say it if it hasn't been said uh and then for me i have been away from my own channel for a long time i've been just sort of hopping into other people's streams when i can because it has been i am a senior in high school for those that don't know i am in that phase right now uh i during the summer i was getting my emt certification and when i wasn't doing that i was working in a doctor's office as an intern so i did not have time then and then the fall was college applications and the last meaningful quarter of high school in my life so it has been quite a while since I've had time to dedicate myself to, to YouTube and making videos and stuff, but I will be getting back at that soon. Uh, Alex was nice enough to link my channel in the description. If you want to check me out, you can do so there. I'll be getting some stuff up on there soon enough. Me and Kush just had a stream on there. He was nice enough to come on. Uh, thanks for having me on, Alex. Yeah, and, um, you guys can find me at just the hub um, as spelt right here on YouTube, the hub YT on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, of course, I do Giants update videos, Giants take videos, and whenever I have the time, because I'm also in college, I'm in my final year, second to last semester, hopefully next semester will be the last one. You know, I, it was weird because COVID made time fly by so fast. I literally got in the mail today, like um, a little card from my college saying, take your graduation picture today. I was like, yo, damn, <laughs> this is early. <laughs> this feels like it's early, but, you know, time flies because of COVID and whatnot. Um, but, yeah, no, when I, when I do have the time, um, I would make my own skits, uh, which I've put on hold essentially since the beginning of the season. The last one I made was like way long ago, but uh, yeah, definitely check me out, guys. By the way, yeah. me and Alex are about the same age. Do we make you feel old, Kush, that you're about to graduate Not college? Not in terms of age, but like I guess in terms of just things that we know, interests and stuff like that. Like, sounds weird, <laughs> oh, but yes. I, I think I'm more of like an uh, oh, that's a fact. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm more of a um, like an old soul. Like, there's a lot of stuff that I'm into that I just nobody in my own generation knows about. A lot of music and, and and musicians that I listen to that once again, a lot of people in my own generation don't know about. It's more so like the past generation, if that makes sense. 
Yeah, I, I could probably definitely get on the same board with you in terms of that. Um, I am one year older than Nate, but I've been through the cycle, obviously. Um, so that's going to wrap it up for this stream. I actually didn't expect it to go to two hours, as I uh, kind of said. But, you know, it's it was still a fun discussion, you know, philosophical discussion. I enjoyed having these guys on here. Check them out. Uh, this actually will be uploaded uh, as an MP3 version on Spotify, Podbean. So if you guys want to check it out. Uh, definitely check it out probably around 12 tomorrow morning. I'll see what, um, see around that time. Uh, we'll see where the giants go. You know, I'm not holding out hope, but at the same time, uh, you know, things can happen. We'll see what happens. Um, but thank you guys for watching. Thanks to the three guys that came on here tonight and made time out of their day. And we will see y'all later.